Hello there, little masters, and welcome once again to the Prancing Pony Podcast, where today we're welcoming a true lore master to the common room. And we've got a great big stack of old dwarven maps for him to decipher for us. <laughs> eh, just kidding, we've only got one. Uh, West Hall, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, the Aragorn to my AMR, Alan Sisto. Thank you, Sean. Uh, does that map have moon runes on it for him? It does, absolutely. Good. Well, folks, today we are very <laughs> excited. I mean, excited doesn't even really put, that's, that's not a good enough word, is it? But we are no. thrilled to be welcoming Professor Corey Olson, yep. the Tolkien professor himself, to our humble little podcast. Professor Olson is the founder and president of Signum University and Mythgard Institute. And because that's not enough, he's also the author of Exploring J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, a most excellent and audacious book that we'll be discussing with him today. And he is, of course, the host of the Tolkien Professor podcast, still going strong on iTunes and wherever great podcasts are available. Indeed, he's he's truly the, the Gil Estelle, the guiding star for all of us Tolkien podcasters. <laughs> and we are so honored and happy to have him here tonight. So, Corey Olson, let me be the first to say thank you for all you've done for Tolkien enthusiasts. And welcome to the Prancing Pony podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, I, I really, I really appreciate that. You know, when uh, when I started my podcast, uh, you know, about ten years ago now, um, it was. It was, you know, for me, just a, a, a kind of whimsical undertaking. You know, it was a way for me just to be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a scholar. I'm doing work on Tolkien. Wouldn't it be instead of just publishing it in a journal that nobody has access to? <laughs> why don't yeah. we, you know, just like put it out there and actually talk to people over the internet, um, which seemed kind of a like kind of a crazy idea. And just to see, uh, you know, it's wonderful to hear you know, about, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that you guys feel that, you know, what I did on my podcast has been an encouragement for you guys. It's so mm-hmm. wonderful just to look around and see more, you know, really good, you know, quality conversation going on about yeah. Tolkien because there is such mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, it's, it is such an important thing for people, not just, not just that Tolkien and Tolkien's work is so mm-hmm. important, you know, for so many people in their lives, mm-hmm. but the ability to talk about it and yeah. to listen to other people yeah. talking about it is such a great opportunity for people. That's the main thing that struck me so much when I started my podcast was the uh, the hunger yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that people showed yeah. for the for, uh, no for you know the, the number of times that people would say things like and it wasn't really about me clearly it wasn't no. about, about it was right. it was just like I've wanted something like this for yes. my whole life and, yeah and uh, you know and I felt the same way I would I, I would have said precisely the same thing you know when I was uh, you know bo- you know earlier in in my life before I started Mm -hmm. being a scholar too. So yeah, great to see this, this kind of thing, you know, spreading and continuing and, and that's been really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I have to say, I think it is the, the community that has been what's, what's been so important to me, just seeing the community of people that's out there and how many people just are, as you said, hungry to just talk about this stuff Mm -hmm. and learn more about it and, um, and discuss it with other like-minded folks. But, uh, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Um, well, we always like to start with a little getting to know you question. Uh, okay. I think you actually answered this pretty well in the introduction to your book, but mm-hmm. for the benefit of our listeners who haven't read it yet, and hopefully will after they listen to this, That's right. uh, when and how did you first discover Tolkien's work? And, and when did you realize that this love of Tolkien had turned into, uh, I think your own words were a fascination with medieval literature that you wanted to turn into an academic career? Well, let's see. So the f- answer to the first question is I was eight years old and um, 
my parents had introduced me a year before. So I was seven when my parents introduced me to the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, they knew C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia, so they read the Chronicles to me when I was seven. Well, they read them to both me and my sister, who was eight. She was less interested. I was completely enthralled um, and began, you know, I think read nothing but the Chronicles of Narnia again and again and again for about a year. Um, and it was it was after that that one of my uh, uh, one of my cousins. Uh, when I was hanging out with him at some holiday or other, uh, said, oh, well, if you like the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll like this too, and handed me a copy of The Hobbit. Um, and I still have the edition of The Hobbit that he handed to me. It was, uh, you know, the old Ballantine paperback, the one with the purple emu on the front. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. I mean, it's a classic <laughs> edition. Yeah. That really is. Uh, the, 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 you know, it, uh, some people don't know the story about, you know, like the illustrator for that actually sent an apology to Tolkien after she'd later read the books. Cause she was put on that, you know, like one of those things where the publishers like, Hey, produce a cover for us in like a week. And she didn't have a chance yeah. to read the books. So she had no right. idea the content right. of the books. Um, anyway, but anyway, so it's, 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 it's a fun thing, but I always remember, you know, I have, I still have my copy of the Hobbit. That's um, awesome. and, uh, you know, so I read that and then, and then quickly found the Lord of the Rings after that. And, yeah. um, you know, it was the kind of impact that Tolkien has had on me has been, I don't know, it's been so profound. It's hard for me even to remember it, if that makes sense. That is like, I, people will say like, how many times did you read the Lord of the Rings when you were a kid? I literally don't remember. Mm. Like I, it's like, I don't remember a time when I wasn't continually reading it, you know, <laughs> I just had to keep I, going back in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it, it's actually hard for me to recall. There are some particular scenes that I'll remember my first reaction, but mm -hmm. uh, in some ways, I actually feel kind of a loss, you know, because I don't remember yeah. most of my Discovery. first experience of reading the book. Yeah, exactly, because my my first read of the book was followed so quickly by my second read of the book that, you know, that, that those impressions. I mean, I can barely remember a time when The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings were not just like an essential part of my outlook on mm -hmm. life, and so therefore also. Um, I think there are a lot of things that I have only sort of through contemplation afterwards have come to realize were, um, you know, sort of opinions or proclivities or things that were informed by Tolkien mm -hmm. and oh, the medieval studies things was, was definitely one of those. You know, I think that, um, my, my, my interest in medieval stuff, I mean, I was exposed to very, very little, uh, sort of authentically medieval stuff. You know, I'm not from a very learned family. Um, so it's not, it's not like, um, you know, if you know, if you read, for instance, C.S. Lewis is surprised by joy, you know, mm -hmm. and listen to his stories of growing up in the house where there were like walls and walls and walls of books and <laughs> always being surrounded by this stuff and walking. That was, that was not you. Not my experience. <laughs> there, were very, there were not all that many books in my house. And so, um, you know, there were a lot of things that I just didn't know about. Right. Um, so, you know, probably the first authentically medieval work I read was uh, Sir Thomas Mowry, uh, Le Mort d'Arthur, in, okay. in, in some kind of mm -hmm. uh, modern translation, I believe, when I was in, you know, maybe seventh, eighth grade, I found this and, um, wow. you know, was really interested in, you know, it was, I think the, the version I, I had was some kind of abridged version, I believe, oh, but sure. I, okay. I, you know, hunted down the unabridged one by the time I was in high school and, and came to really love that. But, wow. you know, again, when I look back and I think about what was it that I loved about that, you know, why did I take to medieval literature so strongly? Because by the time I went to college, I was, you know, I was not only planning to be an English major, I was planning to 
you know, I was hunting down the, you know, the medieval literature classes as, 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 as hard as I could, you know, from the time I went to college. Um, and I, I really think, although I, I wouldn't have, I didn't make the connection at the time. Um, I, I am sure that that was because of Tolkien. And yeah. it's funny cause it's, I, I'm not one of those people that was following directly into, in Tolkien's footsteps, like the, the kind of invitations that Tolkien implicitly puts in his work, like, Hey, aren't you interested in studying Anglo-Saxon? Like, wouldn't you like to know more about the language of the Rovira? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. like, and all of these other little kind of teasers that he gives, which have led so many people. And certainly oh, yeah. through my career as a podcaster and, and, uh, and of course also in, in my time at Signum university, I've met, you know, dozens oh, and of hundreds course. of people who yeah. have gone on to become Anglo-Saxonists and stuff because they, you know, because the, but no, I was like completely deaf to all that stuff. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't do anything that Tolkien would have wanted. I didn't start learning languages. I didn't, I didn't do any of those things, but there was something that really resonated for me with medieval literature. There's just mm -hmm. something that I loved about it. And I am sure it was because oh, of yeah. the way that I up steeped yeah. in Tolkien. Um, that's great. That that I just uh, connected to all this stuff. So, um, yeah. And then, of course, the, the really funny thing was Tolkien was something I took for granted to such an extent that I th I went my entire graduate school career without once even like the thought never crossed my mind. Hey, I could teach Tolkien someday. Like I was like, you know, I was a Chaucer guy. Like that's what right, I did. Right. And I'm like, okay, like I do Chaucer, I do middle English. Um, and it was, it was, I mean, I'll never forget the moment when it was after I was hired. So I was in a tenure track position mm -hmm. and, um, the position I, you know, so I was hired as a medievalist and, you know, I had, so the person, my predecessor had only been like, part-time medievalist. He was actually a Victorianist who was on the side covering the medieval lit classes and he oh, was the one who had retired. So they had nobody. So one of my jobs when I was hired was to expand the medieval lit offerings. So the department chair was like, so, you know, give me a list of some uh, new courses that you would like to develop. And, uh, and, and it was then when I was sitting there being like, hmm, hmm. what courses could I <laughs> offer that people would like that for literally the first time in my adult life, the thought crossed my mind. <laughs> I can teach a class on Tolkien. Um, um, but, but again, it's, you know, to some, I mean, so, to some extent, this is a story about how slow in the uptake I am, but in other, in, in other ways, it's a story about, uh, you know, again, just like how much, how, in some ways, how deeply Tolkien was woven into yeah. like, you know, right. the, the warp and woof of my life that I never <laughs> even thought of, of as a scholar. such a young age. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's. Uh, so, so, so becoming a, an actual t a Tolkien scholar seemed like cheating. You know, yeah. when I finally started to, you know, started to publish on Tolkien and, 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 and do that, you know, uh, I loved Middle English, still love Middle English, still love Chaucer, my, you know, uh, Chaucer, my second favorite author, but, um, but that always felt like work. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes, it still does. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I actually, I published the first article I ever published in a scholarly journal on Tolkien. Um, uh, my article on the Song of the Ent and the Entwife, uh, mm. uh, which I published in Tolkien Studies, actually, I, I published uh, as a result of a dare. Um, my, I was <laughs> I my, my wife this. and I were talking about about uh, uh, you know publications. I've been working on this Chaucer article for a really long time, and. Uh, um, and I made a comment about like, oh man, like 
doing something on Tolkien. Like, that would be something. I, I, you know, I just I made a flippant offhand comment about how, <laughs> you know, after working on this Chaucer article for like six months, I could probably write an article on Tolkien in two weeks. And she's like, do it. I dare you. There you go. Do, and I did. I wrote I wrote that article in two weeks. Um, and the lesson you learned from that was not just how that you could write an article on Tolkien in two weeks. It's that you made you learned not to make flippant comments to your wife. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, be a little more guarded in yeah. uh, making those yeah. kinds of claims. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The dares will um, come. Yeah, but it's uh, awesome. so it's 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 been it's been it's been of course amazing fun, and ever yeah. since then, you know, all the stuff, you know, the the direction, the sort of very unexpected directions that my career has taken, and you know, my book, and and you know, all the work that we've done at Signum, and the courses I've taught there, and the program that we've been developing, mm-hmm. um, it's it, it's it's felt like cheating ever since, you know, just like that. Like, like this uh, is work. I get paid for this. Yeah, because this is so fun. I'm sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It really is. It really is a, a wonderful blessing to be able to, you know, spend my career, you know, immersed in yeah. this thing that I so joyfully immersed myself in, you know, so thoroughly when I was eight, and you know, have never right. emerged <laughs> since forty then, plus right. years later. That's awesome. Exactly. Well, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know you best, or at least got to know you first, as the host of The Tolkien Professor. We were talking about this, you kind of answered this question a little bit uh, in terms of, of, you know, that transition from just teaching a class to making it a podcast. And it sounded, I mean, my question was going to be, what was your original inspiration? But it sounds like really the thought process was just, hey, why put this stuff in in papers that very few people can read, get this out on the internet? What did you expect would happen? <laughs> well, you know, see, that's really interesting because I can tell you it wasn't what happened. No. I'm not sure I did know what to expect, um, but it really was. For me, I have never been, you know, like scholarly credentials and publication lists and things mm-hmm. like that. You know, that's never been what's motivated me. I always love connecting with people. You know, classroom teaching was always what I loved most. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so the idea of it was really a kind of an existential crisis I was having. You know, I think a lot of faculty, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of professors have that at some point or other where Publish you sort of sit down and, and say like, mm-hmm. well, yeah. And, and you're like, well, like, what's the point of me? Like, what good am I doing in the, in the world? <laughs> you know, like you can you can kind of tell yourself that like you're making an impact in the lives of students and that's good. But I mean, all the 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 sort of the work that you pour into scholarship and scholarship is important and stuff and I don't sure. know, I'm not trying to but at the same time for me it wasn't the the amount of time that I would spend in writing articles which you know I knew that so few people were reading you know when I'm writing I'm think it's 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 uh, it's it's I'm always thinking about the audience like I'm right. talking to people right? right um and the knowledge of like I am only talking to really a kind of a, a pretty small coterie of people who are yeah. going to be reading this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I, I had a really hard time being sure. motivated by it. Yeah. Um, so the idea of saying, no, okay, I'm going to do the same quality of work. You know, I, I want to do the same kind of thoughtful work on Tolkien that I would if I were continuing to go out and publish lots of articles and scholarly books and things. But instead I want that audience to be, people, you know, right. to, to, to actually yeah. reach people. And, and not just a few um, dozen, uh, you know, ac- fellow academics. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And honestly, I hadn't the faintest idea of what was going to happen. I didn't really have a plan. It was just like, hey, let's put this out there. And won't it be fun to do my scholarship with an audience, yeah. you know, and to be interacting with that audience? Um, and I had... 
uh, I mean, I had a, a sort of a general idea, right? I was like, okay, you know, because come on, this is, t- it's not like I'm trying to do research on, on, you know, quantum mechanics or something like this is J.R.R. Tolkien. There <laughs> yeah, are, yeah. and I'm, I'm, I'm saying to myself things like millions of people I, saw the know, movies. They, they got to be interested. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, so this is, they're like, there are, I'm sure there are hundreds of people out there who would be really interested <laughs> in talking about this. Exactly. <laughs> that's totally what I would have said, you know, in 2007 when I yeah. had this idea. And, um, and I'll never forget the morning. So I started my, you know, I started the podcast and, you know, I, I was getting, um, you know, I was, I was, I was on iTunes. And of course, as you know, iTunes doesn't give you statistics nope. of, you know, yeah. how many downloads you get. A lot of people don't realize that, but you don't. So basically I was just looking at my bandwidth used, you know, how much total, uh, uh, you know, how many total bytes oh, were being okay. downloaded from my server in order for me to kind of estimate how many, uh, how many downloads I'd gotten. Yeah, huh. uh, in any given day. So that was the the sort of back end mechanism I was using to just try to keep an eye on, you know, how many people were listening. Right. So right. for the first couple of weeks, there were, you know, maybe 15, 20 people a day. That seemed like a lot. You know, I was yeah. like, wow, you know, I've been yeah. by this oh, time yeah. dozens of people have listened to my lectures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and then this one day I came down. Uh, I came downstairs in the morning and just turned on my computer and looked at it. And normally, so I was like several like tens of of megabytes of downloads mm. uh and uh it you know maybe 20 or 30 megabytes a day okay. was about what i was doing and then i came down to breakfast that morning and found that i had done about 150 gigs already that oh, day oh my goodness wow <laughs> huge like, in one in one fell swoop Yes. And, and what had happened was somebody at iTunes had put me on the recommended yeah. list of Yeah, that's all podcasts. it takes. New and noteworthy or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I was on the new and noteworthy that week. Is it fair and to that say was, that Sean and I have been trying to get on new and noteworthy for a year and a half yeah. now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, mean, yeah. I don't know. I mean. No longer was, new and. Yeah. It, it, was, it was probably, it was probably just a. You know, I mean, who knows how they yeah. how they pick those, and yeah. and it was it was you know sort of novel, I guess, at that point. In oh yeah, two thousand eight or whenever that was. But um, but anyway, yeah. So that was, and that you know, from then on, it was just the numbers were ridiculous, you yeah. know. And uh, and I found that no, of course, I had been wrong. There were not hundreds of people. There were thou- there were tens of thousands of people who 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 wanted to to yeah. to talk about this. And yeah, um, what was the so, number? I think I, I think I've seen in your first year. Was it? Was it something like 250,000 in your first year? At least, yeah. Yeah, and again, this was all kind of estimates that I was making based on back-end estimates and stuff. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, I mean, the the total number of downloads – was was in the hundreds of thousands within the first year and after a couple of years it was oh, sure. uh, up up in the up in the several millions so wow. uh, yeah it was it was very it's only mildly intimidating. That's... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be uh, we'll be hitting two hundred fifty thousand probably around our eighteen month mark. But you know it's a different world these days. There there are you know so many more listeners, and and it's yeah. I feel like that's still relatively small potatoes. Um, as an experienced podcaster, what advice would you give us, or or maybe if the advice is really hard advice, some other hypothetical Tolkien <laughs> podcast out there. <laughs> I mean, I think the main thing is the main advice that I would give is just, you know, talk about what you are passionate about. You know, I, I, I think, you know, this I don't know if this is good advice or not, but um, 
I certainly never did much strategizing, you know, when yeah. it came to this. What was what has always worked for me and what people have always responded to and what I can tell from, you know, when I hear from people, what I hear people responding to is, you know, when you're passionate about something, yeah. that's what gets people interested, you know. So um, if so for a, a, you know, for 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 a Tolkien, you know, if, if you you know, you guys are running a Tolkien podcast, you know, other people who, yes. who might want to do a podcast about Tolkien, talk about what you love, talk about what you want to talk about, you know, don't try to strategize and be like, well, this is, this is what the average podcast listener wants in a podcast. Like it doesn't matter, you know, <laughs> right. cause I can yeah. tell you, nobody would have thought in advance, yeah. like what people really want in a podcast is recorded academic lectures. That's what's going to sell <laughs> like, right. Get in front That's of a class, lecture for right. 75 minutes, record that puppy and slap it up there and it'll just, it'll yeah. Just gangbusters, it'll, yeah. Absolutely. But that's what I did, you yeah, know, and that's, yeah. that's, that's, you know, because it's, that's what I love. That's what I do. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, so, so yeah, do what you love. And that's what, you know, that's what, you know, that kind of authenticity is what people well, are, I think, respond to that's the advice i'd give to others too i mean not that we're yeah you know uh, not that we have a ton of experience to, no, to offer nowhere that near from, that but, yet but yeah. um yeah I, I mean i think we found that to be absolutely true right sean i mean it's for us oh, our definitely. success has been based on just two guys sitting around talking tolkien but but you know um just, but but being but focusing on the topics that we're really passionate right about exactly and, you know you know coming back to yeah. those themes and Mm -hmm. And uh, starting, of course, with the Silmarillion, that helped too. But yeah, mm -hmm. no, it's yeah. Um, it's 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 kind of crazy. We look up to uh, to your show and to you, and mm -hmm. and you know we're we're not academics, we're not professors, um, uh, certainly. So we know you know we can't put on airs and and try to be uh, who we're not. We're just just a couple of guys. Is just a couple of say. guys. Yeah. No, that's you know, and I would say, especially in the Tolkien world, you know, credentials. It, it, Credentials don't mean a whole lot in no. the Tolkien world, really. I mean, some of the greatest Tolkien scholars I know don't even have degrees. I mean, Doug Anderson, the yeah. editor of The Annotated Hobbit, mm -hmm. and one of the most learned individuals I've ever met in my life, and certainly one of the foremost Tolkien scholars in the history of Tolkien studies, doesn't yeah. have a PhD. Yep. You know, I mean, he's he's not a he's not a he's not a professional lit person. You know. Um, uh, and and that's true of so many. I mean, whenever you true. whenever I go to to, to Tolkien conference, you know, scholarly conferences, and you know, I'm listening to papers and and uh, and and you know, just sort of being a part of that. There's always a very large contingent of people who are not they're not professors, you right. know, they're not they don't have PhDs. Mm -hmm. um, and again, certainly in my experience, I mean, I have no, um, <laughs> you know. If if ever I did, and I don't, this was never really my bag. But uh, if ever I was tempted, you know, to be like, well, I am the expert, and uh, let me lay some knowledge <laughs> on everybody, like uh, that was beaten out of me pretty quickly because, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I get called up on. And there are so many people that I rely on, people that I know know the text even better than I do yeah. because you know yeah. I interact with yeah. them, and they, 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 I mean, they they recall of certain things, like I'll screw up things that they remember and. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so it's funny. You know, sometimes I'll call them out during a show, you know, because I'll see they're attending yep. live, you know, when I'm doing a live show and I'll be like, hey, Robert, do you remember what happened? Because I, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, that's you awesome. You know, because because uh, I'll because he'll know. I know he yeah. knows, you know, and he's there, you know. So, yeah, um, but, but that is to say the Tolkien community is is is, you know, because it's been, you know, from an academic standpoint, you know, it's been kind of underground for so long right. um, that 
its home is not and never has been, you know, within academia. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, those of us who are in academia are are kind of like the sort of weird countercultural in some true, ways. Yeah. So, yeah, a little bit. Uh, uh, so yeah, so so don't you know, both for you guys and for others, you know, who who are you know, don't feel like the credential matters, you know, cause it really, it really doesn't. Um, you know, it's funny when I call myself the Tolkien professor at first. So first of all, I never actually called myself the Tolkien professor. That wasn't the goal. The th- it was, it was my URL. <laughs> really? I wanted a webpage, right? Yeah, I, was, okay. I was designing a webpage. And so I was trying okay. to think like, I need a, I, I need a URL, which is going to be memorable yep. and which will like be like transparent in describing who I am and what I'm doing. Um, and so I came up with Tolkienprofessor.com because I was like, okay, you know, like I'm, I, I want to, I want Tolkien to be in it. Cause I want people to know that I'm talking about Tolkien and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, and I'm a professor. I want to indicate that this is like a scholarly thing, you right. know, so this is not, you know, so because especially since at the beginning in particular, I was still an untenured faculty member. So I had, I did have some sort of dreams of fighting the fight about, uh, what would count towards my tenure clock <laughs> exactly. and, and alternative publication <laughs> modes and that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so I was, I was, you know, I, I wanted it to be sort of overtly academic and, sure. and, and just mm-hmm. on a sort of a truth and advertising thing. And fairly quickly after that, people began to call me the Tolkien professor. Like I was the, uh, like that was my title that and was I was, you. and yeah, and I, I tried to fight it for a while, you know, yeah. and, but then I was like, yeah, no, I not can't, too hard. That's can't fight that too hard. hard. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it's hard because I still get, I still get teased about this all the time by others, Tolkien scholars. Hours, yeah, right, you know, yeah. or like, oh, it's the oh, the, you're Tolkien the Tolkien professor, professor yeah, huh? exactly. the one and only <laughs> Tolkien professor. Uh, yeah, 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 no, Mike uh, Drought was stuff. just giving me a hard time about that in a panel discussion we were doing at Myth Mood, and he's like, I am so honored to be sitting next to definite the. article, the Tolkien professor, ribbing me about that. If there's anybody who's well equipped to give you a hard time, it's it's Drought. Oh yeah, yeah, no kidding. He's very sharp. He's got quite a wit on him. Uh, he sure does. I'd be actually yeah. afraid to interview him. As nervous as I was to have you on the show, I'd just be terrified if it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's great. He, he's so yeah. funny and so. He is hilarious. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, on well on the topic of academia, since we're talking about that a little bit, um, I want to shift gears a little bit uh, and talk about one of your other projects, or maybe sure. two of your other projects. Uh, in 2011, I think it was, mm-hmm. you established the Mythgard Institute. At yes. Signum University. And yeah. um, your goal with those is uh, basically to facilitate lectures and research and even offer graduate level academic courses online uh, yes. in things like Tolkien studies, fantasy, science fiction, uh, medieval studies, language, so much more. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with this idea because it seems rather revolutionary. Yeah, to me. It does. Absolutely. Well, it grew or totally organically out of my podcast, basically. I mean, one of the things that I found, and so, you know, remember when this was, right? This was too, you know, so really the the kind of the hotbed of this was 2009 to 2010. Right. Um, so, you know, right about then, you know, interactive online technology was increasing, you know, like the, the you know, right around that same was like when the iPad first came out. You mm-hmm. know, so right. a, a bunch of ways of sort of thinking about interacting with things differently electronically and stuff. That was sort of what was happening. So one of the things that I found throughout my early the early years of my podcast was people kept wanting more and more interaction. And I kept uh, kind of being creative about new ways to, to do live sessions and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so the sort of 
culmination of that was the Silmarillion seminar. That's what I was um, thinking. Yeah, I remember yeah, I, I got was. through a few of those episodes. Those were amazing. It was incredible. It was incredible. Now that was a com- that was a whim on my part. It was me saying so. I had I had never even really heard of webinar software. I mean that that was brand new well, to yeah, me. Yeah, back that then. Point. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I had just like gotten access to it through my school, you know, through a webinar license, and I was like, okay, so. Um, Let's try this out. So, you know, it was an experiment. Uh, And again, this was just me experimenting with something to see if maybe this was another way I could do another like interactive thing through my podcast. Um, And I and I'd always wanted to do, you know, a a careful read through of the Silmarillion, like a discussion through the Silmarillion uh, in detail anyway. So I was like, okay, two birds with one stone. Let's start up a Silmarillion (laughs) thing. And. Let's uh, and, and and let's do it in this format in in a webinar, you know, using uh, this interaction, so that mm-hmm. we can I can have live discussion with a group of people. Um, I the signups for it were uh, I mean I just posted on Facebook one day, um, and it was actually like the day before Thanksgiving, so it was like right, it was during the Thanksgiving holiday uh, <laughs> of t- two thousand and nine, I think, uh, that I started that. Um, no, it, it was two thousand nine, and uh, um, so. And, and I just took the first like 20 people who responded <laughs> to my posts uh, and invited them to the webinar. That was my scientific process of of, cool. uh, of, of setting that up. Um, and, you know, I went into it with really low expectations because I was thinking like, OK, you know, I, I'm 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 already convinced, obviously, as a podcaster, that the Internet mm-hmm. is a good way to distribute mm-hmm. content. Sure. Right. Um, and so let's try this interactivity thing. I was expecting that discussion would be able to happen. You know, we'd be able to go back and forth and, and, and that it would work fine. Um, uh, but I was thinking like, you know. The last thing on my mind was, oh, this is going to be just as good as like one of my regular classes. I mean, I've been a classroom teacher for a while at that point. Uh, and I was like, OK, obviously, you know, this sitting around by our computers and talking, you know, uh, and so that we can just hear each other's audio is not going to be like a real class, you know. But anyway, <laughs> you know, it would be fun. And I was completely blown away by the yeah. experience. I mean, the wow. Silmarillion seminar, um, not only did it really work as a discussion. But the way that chemistry developed among the students, I would never have guessed. I mean, the people from this, we still have like reunions with the, with the people wow. who did that. Yeah, I mean, I'm awesome. still in touch with a bunch of people from the Silmarillion seminar. Um, wow. And uh, it's so I mean, it's just that was that was that was for me the eye opening experience and yeah. really a life changing experience mm-hmm. because um I got really excited about it. And I was, you know, as a teacher, I was like, this is incredible. Like yeah. you can really do, cause here I was running these sessions for people who were all over, um, you know, doing this from all over the world, right. you know, so people in different time zones and people in different countries, one of the people who was, uh, uh, who was participating was blind. Right. So, I mean, all different, like mm-hmm. geographical locations, accessibility issues, whatever, yeah. we could all get together and participate in this really dynamic, fun, awesome classroom experience. Um, so I got really excited about it as a teacher and was saying this, this, this needs to, this is a thing that needs to happen, yeah. you know? Uh, and at the, the same future. time I had, a, it is the future. It exactly. Is, and I'm looking around and, and of course, you know, again, this is 2010, yep. you know, going into 2011 now at this point. And so online education was, I mean, of course it had been, you know, people had been doing versions of online education for many years already, but it sure. was beginning to creep into the mainstream, mm-hmm. mostly through the university of Phoenix, yep. um, which mm-hmm. means it was still largely distrusted uh, by the, <laughs> yeah, the for-profit right. institutes. Yeah. 
Right. Exactly. Most people, uh, most people equated online education with diploma mill at that right. point. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so the, I mean, so the first couple of years of my online education experience was mostly, uh, you know, starting off every conversation with, but no, really, we're a serious <laughs> we're not like that. That. <laughs> we're for real. Um, and it, it's nice not to have to start every conversation that way anymore, but, True. um, uh, anyway, so, so, you know, that was, and so I, I was looking around at online education and, and what people were doing. And I was shocked to find that nobody was doing this kind of thing. Nobody was just saying like, let's, let's like have a session. You know, the technology is here. Let's have right. a session, open the mics and, and have a classroom discussion. Um, instead, what everybody was doing on, in online education was essentially, like the 19th century correspondence course, right? You know that you would okay. take from the frontier. You could download um, except, the curriculum and fill right. it out and send it in. Right. Yeah. Except made more efficient through yeah. the internet. You know, okay. um, which is cool. I mean, again, I correspondence courses are great, and sure. uh, and being able to do that efficiently over. I mean, there's there's uh, there's like totally a place for that, and especially for independent learners who want maximum flexibility. That's excellent, but you know, that's not everybody. No. And this is I mean, really you miss that know, community aspect. Yeah, the classroom experience is part of it. it has to be. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's what still to this day, you know, I find when I talk to people, uh, you know, and I tell them I do online classes, one of the things that I often hear from people is, oh, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work for me, which is an interesting comment if you think about it. Right. Yeah. Nobody nobody says that about brick and mortar schools. Nobody no. says like, oh, yeah, sure. like I went to school, but it didn't work for me. Right. right? Like that, 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 <laughs> you might make criticisms, but you're not yeah. going to say that. No, right. Right. No. Um, uh, so, and, and I think when people say that, what they're mostly saying, and the, the experience that most of them have had is with that kind of sort yeah. of relatively static, you know, totally asynchronous experience mm-hmm. where it's all on you. You know, you really have to be an independent learner to push yourself through it. And I can see why yeah. that doesn't work for yeah. a lot of people. If you're not so, highly motivated, you're not going to move forward at all. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, you know, so basically, so it was, it was a combination of several things at once now. I was already fully engaged in the Tolkien podcasting and looking for ways to engage with all of these people following my podcast who are clamoring for more interaction and who are specifically saying it would be, we would really love to take a course. Could we do a course of some kind? Wow. Uh, you know, like a real Great. Tolkien course. I'm like, well, okay. All right. I don't know how we can do that, but okay. So, so I, on, <laughs> on the one hand that was going on, on the other hand, I just, as an educator, I was getting really excited about oh, the yeah. potential for this. All the new tools, seeing, the new software, the new, yeah. it's like a new, whole new paradigm. And I hate using that word. It's a cliched word, but uh, it really was. It was a, a, tran- a total Absolutely. shift. Yeah. 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 And so, so being excited about that, seeing the potential for that. And also, I mean, the other thing is I was, I was a guy teaching. I was, uh, I was tenured by that point at the school that I was, but I was tenured at a small private institution, you know, a small private liberal arts school mm-hmm. with a pretty high tuition tag. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I myself am from, uh, you know, a low middle class background and, um, you know, uh, went to school on heavy financial aid. Right. Um, and so mm-hmm. really, I mean, you know, I, 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 I'm very sympathetic, you know, to the people who really struggle to make ends meet and to pay college tuition. And, and, you know, the, the whole student debt crisis is something that was oh, yeah. really hard for me, especially yeah. as a professor, you know, every year I'm sitting there with my English majors, you know, who 
who are and watching them graduate with 60, 80, hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. And it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. It was, yeah, you know, nice. if, with my background, looking at that and knowing, you know, these are not kids, you know, some of them, you know, some of the kids, of course, at the school that I was at were like trust fund babies and that's, sure. you know, whatever, that's mm-hmm. fine for them. But again, I mean, I was really sympathetic to the, you know, so yeah. I hated to see that and it was hard yeah. Yeah. kind of to be a part of that system. So with that, on the one hand, my positive excitement as an educator to say, hey, look, mm-hmm. this is really great, a really great educational experience. And, you know, my audience clamoring for stuff. Mm-hmm. This is what brought about the the formation of the institution at the beginning to say, OK, That's you know awesome. what? I'm just going to do this. Yeah. This, sh- this should happen. Nobody's doing it. Um I'm just going to do it and, and, and we'll see what happens. And I started kind of, you know, sort of a little bit informally, but pretty, you know, the, the response was really strong and, and the experience was really good. And I was like, no, this, this really should be a thing. So we're, we, we, you know, we quickly, you know, set out to, you know, establish a real graduate program. You know, we did, we did a graduate program because, you know, that was where my podcast people were. And also it's much simpler when you're, Forming a school entirely from scratch with no funding, which is <laughs> just kind yeah. of interesting as an undertaking. Uh, and I could tell lots of stories about that that are probably inappropriate. But, um, <laughs> but the point is, what would, you know, we'll, we'll, have, those, we'll have you tell those off air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, uh, but, you know, doing a master's degree program, I could just be focused and do what I want. Yeah. I didn't have to be like a broad Bachelor of Arts. Right, right. right. You know, sure. Try to do all the departments and everything. You know, it's like, no, let's just do, you know, literature focused on Tolkien studies and fantasy literature. And we sort of, you know, we've expanded over time, yeah. um, you know. Right now we have four concentrations. You know, you can concentrate in Tolkien studies. You can concentrate in imaginative literature, which is sort of broader that includes science fiction, non-Tolkien fantasy and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Germanic philology because, of course, it's Tolkien people. Right. So so right. many people yep. read Tolkien the right way, unlike how I did and get, you know, bit by like the Germanic <laughs> philology bug, you know, yeah. uh, uh, which which is awesome. So we have um it was really funny. I had a really funny experience with that this past year. I gave a talk um, at the uh, annual convention of the United States Distance Learning Association. You know, this mm-hmm. this big professional organization okay. for online education. And I was just presenting on Signum and what we're doing is the first time I've really presented on what we're doing in that kind of environment. And uh, and so they were they were they're asking me like, so you know, what are some of the like you know what are some of the 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 most popular courses that you're offering? I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> this semester we are launching a new program which people have been clamoring for for years and we're finally offering it we are offering an introduction to old norse and everyone <laughs> at just hear like a pin drop. Seconds and then bursts out laughing you know? oh my goodness <laughs> i thought that was hilarious awesome. I'm like, no, we, have a, we, 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 we have a language program and we offer we offer latin anglo-saxon and old norse that's what we do and, that's awesome uh, if like, the yeah, language a, can be a, spoken today we don't teach it <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Only, uh, only, only what's useful on the streets. That's what we teach. There you, you know, go. Is, right. Yeah. Exactly. Man, uh, that's awesome. And, Just and a perfect course, story. And of course, we're hearing that, and we're thinking, well, yeah, that's exactly what I want to learn. Of course, yeah, yeah. old Norse. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you know, being able to read the, you know, uh, uh, the, the Edda in the original. Edda in the original. Yeah, for sure. Oh. Read Beowulf in the original. You know, oh, and that's man. what. Um, you know, we're, we're just, uh, we're, we're expanding this year. We're, we're having a, a two semester basic, like sort of overview of 
Germanic philology. So, you know, sort of to, to, to learn the sort of the core principles of studying philology and to go back and look at the, you know, the progression from, you know, the old Germanic languages and, you know, Gothic mm-hmm. and, and the relationships of all these different things. Um, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating study. Um, but it's, you know, so we, we've settled in as this sort of niche program. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I guess, one yeah. of the beauties of online education, Germanic philology is dying almost everywhere in the world. You know, there are schools oh, sure. everywhere are shutting down. You know, there are very few places where you can go to study Germanic philology anymore um, because most schools are, are closing down those kinds of historical linguistics programs sure. um, because they don't have the local population to support it. But, you know, if you collect from around the world, everybody who's interested in there learning introduction, well, yeah. it's quite you a large population. Enough. Yeah, so I bet it is. It, it's a real advantage to uh to what we do and it's it's uh it's just uh it's just a fantastic uh group of people you know that come i mean being able to apply scale you know to be able to take like you said taking worldwide across the world you can't you could not do that at a single individual brick and mortar school there's just not enough interest to justify the expense but when you lower the expenses by doing it online and you increase the student base you can do it and for cheaper amazing right and and a gift for future generations of oh yeah uh, you know, want to be philologists, Tolkien fans. Um, that's just it. that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Uh, at, uh, at, at MythMoot this year. So the, uh, the, the, we do an annual conference called MythMoot. Um, mm-hmm. And at our MythMoot conference uh, just a couple months ago, uh, Mike Drought gave one of the keynote talks. And his talk was a wonderful talk, which we actually have embedded on our Germanic philology page uh, now on Signum, because it was it was basically it was sort of he gave a talk about the history of Germanic philology and sort of its decline and fall over the course of the 20th century and the reasons for that. And uh, but like the benefits of Germanic philology and and really sort of like why it's really important that we not lose philology and that we continue yeah. and that, you know why why philology should be sort of remarried to the study of literature from which it was divorced, you know, yeah. a couple of generations back. And, um, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was really great hearing his talk because that's, that's really sort of like the charge of what we're trying to do, you know, to, to really create an environment. It's because again, it's one of the only places where, yeah, yeah. uh, this, this study is growing and that's been really exciting. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's one of the few places where you can go to say, you know, I want to study Tolkien. I, I, I want to get a master's degree in literature with a concentration in Tolkien studies where I'm just going to be focused on studying Tolkien and studying the languages that he studied. Uh, and, and, you know, there's so many different different angles that people take at it and so many different ways that you can get at it. Um, but we're really the only program in the world where this is, this is, this is what we do. You know, this is who we are. And, uh, that's been great. And still, you know, being able to, you know, being able to sort of keep applying, you know, to continue forward with those other convictions that really, that really launched it, you know, to have all of our courses are, uh, are synchronous and interactive, you know, every single one of our courses contains, a, you know, uh, a central synchronous interactive component so that, um, you know, nobody, you're, you're never left off on your own. You're always included yeah. in the classroom discussion. You're always interacting, uh, yeah. and getting to know your professor and part of that relationship with your professor and with your, and with your classmates. Um, at, and also our tuition is really low. I mean, again, that was one of the other things, you know, cause it's, it's hard, you know, how can you, um, many people look at the, the college debt situation, you know, the student debt situation and say like, Oh man, you know, like these colleges, are charging so much for tuition. They shouldn't charge that much for tuition. I can tell you from having 
you know, worked at, you know, having been yeah. tenured faculty mm-hmm. at a college and having, you know, studied the budget and, you know, talked over the budget at length in many, many meetings, I can tell you there's not that much wiggle. They can't just reduce yeah. tuition. They can't. Mm, they're right. barely making yeah. it. It may seem hard to believe that their tuition is so high and they're barely making ends meet. But trust me, they are barely making it. ends meet. Yeah. And uh, and but so how can you change the paradigm? How can you create uh, you know, an alternative. And, you know, my answer to that was yeah. ditch the campus, New tech. you know, you ditch, yeah. the, ditch the campus and invest yourself entirely in people instead. Yeah. And that's what we, yeah. so, yeah. That's uh, awesome. so, you know, our, our tuition that is really, really low awesome. and, uh, and, and going to stay low. And so, yeah, so it's, it's been a really fun adventure from like an entrepreneurial standpoint, <laughs> from an, you know, sure. from a, from an educator standpoint, yeah, you know, man. from, a Tolkien studies standpoint, you know, been <laughs> yeah, of for sure. What we've been doing and, uh, Signum has been a, a really, really fun adventure. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, we're branching out into other ways too. We have, uh, uh, we just did our first kids program, uh, which was really oh. fun. We did our, we, we did a Hobbit camp for middle yeah. schoolers over yeah. the summer. Oh, wow. That's cool. Uh, which was really fun. We, we did that in uh, in partnership with local public libraries. So what we did was we had uh, local public libraries from all over the country signed up with us. We ran daily uh, uh, live online sessions so that we could be interacting with kids and and mm-hmm. sometimes with groups of kids at once, sometimes individual kids. You know, so we had essentially the sort of lecture discussion component at the That's center. Awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But then the kids locally would get together at their local public libraries and they'd do crafts and projects and and stuff like that together. Yeah, I knew um, about it. One of our listeners, Sean, I can't remember who it was, uh, messaged us and talked about how she was involved. She was a local – she okay. was involved at a local library doing this exact thing. Oh, cool. Yeah. I can't remember who yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but yeah, cool. no, it's – what a neat that's program. Been, that's been awesome. We had like 65 libraries signed up yeah. across the country. It was it was really neat to kind of hear some of the stories and get to connect with folks. You know, like we had this one oh, yeah. library in Mississippi uh, that was in this really remote place in Mississippi. And the library was so small. You know, they contacted us and were like, we're really excited. We really want to participate in this. But we don't own a copy of The Hobbit. <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, man. So I'm like, All right, hang on. Yeah, <laughs> that's know, easy. You know, Let's solve yeah. that problem. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so sure. we, we immediately donated several copies yeah. of The Hobbit. Yeah. Here's so a dozen. Have That's those. great. Yeah. And That's this so is great. one of those things like, you know, I, I was ordering them on Amazon and sending them to them. Yeah. And uh, I put in their their address and Amazon was like, recalculating your delivery date. Oh, my goodness. You know that's a problem <laughs> it took, when it says that. It took Amazon Prime a week and a half to deliver. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. To, to Boy, that's, that's a new definition of rural, library. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Wow. They have to send them in by pack train, but <laughs> <laughs> well, we were anyway, getting the mule yeah, together, and the, the yeah, mule wasn't back was, yet, so we had on to, a pony. <laughs> well, I, bef- before we completely run out of time, <laughs> I want right, to yeah, move yeah. on to our next question because I'm like looking of at this going, "Oh yeah. no, either Corey's going to have to stay longer than he's uh, allowed us to, to, to ask, or we're going to have to cut everything super short." Real quick question: Wait, This is a short. First one. of all, I could say we can do a little extra time because you know we're all so all right. Anyone who is familiar to my podcast knows I almost never start on time and I almost never end on well, time. Well, our so our listeners know the same thing. I think when we started, yeah. we told our listeners we would never exceed an hour and a half and. I think our third Turin episode ended up being just a minute shy of three, three hours. Three hours, yeah. Three hours. We won't yeah, do that exactly. again, we, but we have no. broken two. <laughs> that, a few and that times. was our third of three Turin Yeah, we episodes. had a Turin trilogy. Uh, yeah. 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 So, 
Anyway, uh, quick question, and, and you kind of touched on it a little bit. We want to find out a little bit more, but I think you already answered the question to some extent. You know, we were we were privileged to be able to offer some time on the show to promote MythMoot 4 back in June. Yes. And we yes. hope to be a part of promoting that next year. And you mentioned that it's going to be next year because it used to be biannual. Is there going to be one next right. year? There is. Yes, Yay. there is. All right. Well, tell our listeners uh, a little about it. I mean, we told them, but you tell them because it was your project. So. <laughs> oh, man. MythMoot is so much fun. It's it's. The, the the goal of Mythmoot is to be a combination, not like both of these things happening kind of awkwardly at the same place and the same time, but mm-hmm. a real combination of a scholarly conference and a fan convention, like a place where people can get <laughs> oh, together, man. have fun, geek out, you know, uh, dress like up, kind of thing, talk about that sounds stuff, like heaven. Yeah. While really at does. the same time. <laughs> Listening to top scholars give awesome yeah. lectures and and wow. uh, and you know uh, being a part of you Presenting know panel discussions and, and yeah paper oh. presentations and uh, and all kinds of other sort of uh, extra activities and stuff. So um, you know that kind of union of you know the fun and the scholarly has been kind of at the core of what you yeah. know we've been doing at Myth, Mythgard and, and Signum from the beginning, um, but. Um, so Mythmoot is kind of the uh, uh, the the live, in person, <laughs> you know, annual event that, uh, <laughs> that 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 tries to embody that. Um, and Great. it's this year was just magical. It was so good, uh, Mythmoot this year. Oh, and we, uh, we, had about, we 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 heard a lot. Of we that were seriously trying to figure out there. how to make it happen. Yeah. And oh yeah, our schedule. Yeah. It was just by the time we found out about it and found out the dates, it was just a little too late for us to try to plan yep. the trip. But. Yep. Uh, yep. Well, yeah. we should be. We're not quite ready to announce dates yet for next year, but we're looking at around the same time. It'll probably be June-ish, June. Okay. Uh, June next year. Um, it will be in the same location in Leesburg, Virginia. Okay. Um, we, we did. Okay. We did. Uh, well, you know, one of like, our. Um, I, I I don't expect you to know this. When I say you know, I'm speaking hypothetically to the general person. Our listeners yeah. know uh, <laughs> that our our Patreon goals, our our third one, if if uh, our patrons can get us to that level, one of them is that we promise to attend a conference and record a live episode. For from that conference. So uh-huh. uh, we are hoping to be able to attend MythMoot next year. Oh, that would be awesome. Uh, if, if our listeners can uh, can get us there. So uh, yeah. we're looking forward to it. Yep. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, we we could we should uh, we could uh, do a session there next year. Yeah, oh, man, talk that would about, be awesome. Yeah, we could talk about podcasting and, and so, yeah, that'd be great. Oh, that would be awesome. We would love that to would have be you awesome, back on. Yeah. That would be so much fun. Uh, and and we're gonna keep on flying because we've got. I'm looking at our list, going, oh man, we haven't got to the book yet. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> One of the more intriguing projects, at least for me, that you've been doing recently is exploring the Lord of the Rings. These sessions are. Yes. I mean, the sessions are really informative and awesome. But setting those classes within the Middle Earth game world of the Lord of the Rings Online <laughs> was an absolutely brilliant that's idea, a, and I, I wish thing, I could yeah. steal it and still be original. Um, <laughs> what, I can't, so it's not never going to be happening. But what was the impetus for taking what would have been a, really an otherwise good but ordinary seminar series and turning that into something totally unheard of, a video game-based experience? What, what made you go there? The idea for that just came from the fact – well, so first of all, we've been sort of interacting with the Lotro community yeah. for several years now. You've been playing um, – you've, you've got a, a, a burglar if I remember correctly, right? I, I do. I've been I've been streaming my burglar from his creation uh, up through – now it's been uh, two years now I think I've been streaming the adventures of Grifflet going through the epic quest lines in, in Lord <laughs> of the Rings Online. That's awesome. Um, 
I've been I started playing myself maybe a year before that. So I, I'm not, okay. you know, one of the old timers in Lotro by any means. I resisted uh, it. For, they tried yeah. to bring me up. They by they, they I bring you in early. The old your, timers like yeah. the players, you know, from the I'm an old timer, but I haven't played in like four years. I mean, that's that's the right. weird thing. I well, I well, I've never played Alan. You know that I do. Yeah, my my, my a couple of my characters are, are leveled at 65 because that was what the cap was back then. That was the cap at that point, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think I was right. there shortly after Merkwood was was released, and then I well, then uh-huh. we had kids. So. <laughs> exactly. No, that happens. That happens. You know, I was going to say that's the reason uh, I haven't gone in there. Yeah, it's the yeah, kids. Exactly. Well, that and that's that was the same thing with me too. When I was just starting my podcast, and then when I was still untenured, and when I was, oh, yeah. and when you my kids were young, younger, yeah, yeah, no I, was, no chance. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was resistant. Um, what what did me in though was attending a conference where one of the developers was speaking and mm-hmm. and showing stuff about the game and and oh, kind yeah. of talking through their own adaptation process and i was just like i okay yeah. i can't fight this anymore yeah the this atmosphere is, now, is just too cool it's now it an really academic is. imperative that i have to check this out <laughs> um, and i have yeah so so exactly so, so so this is me you know down in my basement being like honey sorry research going on down here you know I, <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. that's, um, that's, yeah, that's how awesome. I sell it. Exactly. <laughs> there no, you it's, go. It's, it's research. You go. Absolutely. It's, it's research yeah, for the that's, podcast. That's, that's what you podcast, can tell your yeah. wife. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, that's great. but uh, no, it's, it's, it's been, it's been awesome. So of course another, you know, w- there were several reasons, you know, why I was uh, really excited to, 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 to dig in once I, once I, you know, put my foot in, in it, uh, like Bilbo going back uh, into his parlor. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, and you know, you know, one of course is just simply my, my fascination in what they have done. I mean, it's yeah. such, it's so deep and so well done. It is, it I, really I have is. never seen an adaptation, um, which is so intricately, um, tied to the books, which th- yes. has thought about them, is reads the books so carefully and with such detail uh, and thinks about them really well. I mean, those are not the same thing. You know, you can no, be meticulous in trying to include details, um, but the kind of thought that they've put into their storylines and the yep. way that their storylines connect with book storylines is is fascinating and yep. really, really interesting. We have um, wow. one of our master's degree students who's writing her thesis on on Lotro and their adaptation and their storylines, actually. Oh, wow. Um, that would wow. be a fascinating at, thesis to read. Yeah, looking at them as, as, as an adaptation. So, yeah, no, wow. it's really interesting. Um, but then at the same time, of course, people who play Lord of the Rings online, like these are our people, you know, like oh, we yeah, knew that these sure. were people. So, you know, in, in wanting to, we really wanted, you know, for Signum and Mythgard to be you know, kind of embracing that community and, mm-hmm. and to kind of reach out to that community because there were obviously people there, people there who didn't know us and what we did, um, you know, that we really wanted to connect with. And, sure. um, you know, we thought that was just a sort of an obvious crossover. So I, you know, I'd been doing stuff with them all along, you know, for, for, for the last few years. Um, and so the germ of the idea actually, you know, the idea didn't for exploring the Lord of the Rings online didn't come about as like, Hey, I want to do it. I should do a detailed study of the Lord of the Rings. How can I do that? Maybe I'll do it in the game. It came, it came the other way around. It was like, okay, I want to do a new thing engaging with the Lotro community. What should we do? And I was like, well, what we should do is let's, let's do a, an actual, you know, lore thing. Let's, let's actually do a reading of the books and, um, and, and, you know, and, and let's, let's do it in game and then to, you know, to do it in game and to connect it to the, um, to connect it to the, the exploration of the world itself. Right. The in-game locations. Yeah. 
right yeah, sort of paralleling you know first looking at at Tolkien's book and then thinking about their adaptation because there's so much there and uh, and it's so interesting to do so um, so you can actually be in the place where you know oh, yeah. be on Weathertop or something like that oh absolutely well, can, now, yeah yeah I, I, so so the way that I do it I don't I'm, that was my first thought too it's like hey so like when we get to when we do the Weathertop class let's go to Weathertop and do class from Weathertop right. the problem is it's really distracting because when you're there like so people if you're, are fighting right there's exactly yeah, right yeah. like the crows would keep respawning and you'd <laughs> yeah, you're going all the time and more mobs <laughs> showing up yep exactly right. that's distracting so um so what, what you need we some actually, tanks would, to draw aggro around the party <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> then you have to make sure that the seminar attendees are you know well-balanced party and everything <laughs> <laughs> yes do we have yes. any healers here yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the 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 Lotro developers uh, actually made me a lecture hall in game. So yeah, um, the okay. the place where I host the class from, they created so that I could teach class from there. Uh, so oh, we cool. have uh, we, we sort of joke. This is uh, this is Signum University's only campus. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Lord of the Rings online and it's in Middle Earth. Scholars that Hall. Is brilliant. Oh, that's it. But, you know, so they created that force. And then from there we go out and do and do field trips, uh, you right. know, to visit the locations and, yeah. and look at how they're they're handling the stuff that we were looking at that, uh, you know, that, that night or like or Bilbo's whatever. trolls or, or weather top. Exactly. Or okay. Bilbo's trolls and weather tell itself. Just did, yeah. We just were looking at uh, um, uh, the old forest, you oh, know, yeah. and we haven't got old man willow yet. But, you know, our next our next text based uh, field trip will be to old man willow and Tom Bomb. House when oh, we, that's awesome. Uh, I remember getting chaos. there the very first time of my very first character, probably in year one of the game. Right. Um, because I was I was a I, I signed up when uh, it was probably six months, maybe eight months in. And uh, I went ahead and got I signed up for the lifetime. Uh, oh, great. Because back oh, then it was, man. I think, I don't know, maybe a hundred bucks to do lifetime. A <laughs> like, hundred bucks to do lifetime. So I get, yeah, I'm, I'm cool, a VIP man. every month for the for as long as the game's around. Um, that's that's, that's cool. a good investment. Best oh deal goodness. ever, you know. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm getting jealous. I, I feel like I should have done this. Yeah, the lifetime thing went away a long time ago. But I, I remember the very first time I, I took a character into, well, first of all, the old forest was spooky as could be. And then to yes. actually get to Tom Bombadil's house and the music. Man, Chance Thomas, who wrote the score for the for the game. Yes. Fantastic yes. music. Absolutely. Oh, it really is great. It really yeah. is great. Yeah, and Good he's stuff. just come back to do new music for yep, Mordor. For Mordor. So, uh, oh, just, cool. They're, 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 Mordor is, is uh, being released on Monday, actually. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay. waiting until yeah. December right. when I can buy it with all my uh, points. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, uh, so Corey, what's the what's the future of the of the seminar project? Is there any any chance of maybe turning that into a book like you did? Uh, just that's, the title is so similar to Exploring Dare or Talking think? to the Hobbit. I have to ask, and that's not a coincidence at all. Uh, so. Absolutely not. Um, yeah, uh, there there is some thoughts about that. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons that I, you know. <laughs> A lot of what it really kind of ever since I've done my podcast, there have been a lot of times when I've said to myself, like, okay, what I really need to do is I need to sit down and I need to really look through this, you know, you know, sort of take some notes and really think my way through this. And then I'm like, well, no, that's a waste of time. How about I just do it live on the air? You know, <laughs> that, that way, you know, I, I get I, I get to deliver more content. And yeah. what's more, I get to right. have a much more enriching experience because I always think about stuff better when I'm teaching than yeah. when I'm just sort of sitting on my own. 
better. Um, so yeah, certainly, uh, my exploring the Hobbit book was, is something that I've always sort of thought about, uh, following up with an exploring the Lord of the Rings book. Actually, I was in talks with Houghton Mifflin about doing that right away. When I did the Hobbit book, the reason it didn't happen right away was they wanted me to do it in one volume. They, they didn't, they wanted a short one. You know, they're like, can you do exploring the Lord of the Rings in one volume? And I'm like, don't can you remember the, the, the not, not to do what you did with the Hobbit? Yeah, yeah. unless like, your exactly. unless your volume can be really thick. Exactly um, right. Like, Eleven hundred pages, maybe. Goodness. Yeah. So I I, I was I, I had a, you know I tried to wrap my head around that, and I'm just like, no, no you know, this is yeah. not the book I want to write. I can't do that. I really yeah. can't. That's yeah. not what I can do. So well, you, you um, think so they would have learned the lesson? Because don't I mean I remember Peter Jackson going to all the film studios, and they all kept saying. Yeah, you can't do two movies. You can only do it in one. And then finally, <laughs> right, New Line right. goes, what are you doing two movies for? You need to do this in three. Right. <laughs> you need right. that publisher. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. So and so that, that's why it didn't happen at first. Yeah. But um, as we came down, you know, as, as and of course, as things have developed, you know, I'm kind of in a pretty different place now with um, with Signum and stuff. I mean, my book came out. Oh, yeah. I was I wrote the bulk of my book basically during the first semester and right after the first semester that Signum was in existence. So it was we're way at the very beginning of that, okay. of that project. Um, it would, it would be hard to do the same thing now that I did then. I wouldn't be able to be able to get that much time to write a book. Um, so it's possible that something book like will come out of this. It's also possible. I might do something else. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really well, interested true. in, so like, so for instance, when I, when I, if I had had my dream, when I sat down to do exploring the Hobbit, I would have made that like, a an interactive electronic text, basically. Oh, I mean, yeah. like mm-hmm. my, my own fantasy would have been to have the text of the Hobbit, um, that you could like click on and mouse over in order to get like, you know, so that you're reading the thing and you come to the poem and then you can like click on the poem or mouse over the poem or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, get like my, my, my discussion of the poem, you know, okay. sort of marginally. So or almost like, it, like, uh, almost like the annotated Hobbit, but like not the Anderson quite. book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was funny. I was actually talking to Doug Anderson about this, uh, way back then. And, 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 and he was sort of very politely saying, well, you, you know, I, I've already written the annotated Hobbit. Right? Like, I know you have. Yeah, you kind of can't I'm do not, that, man. Right? It's, exactly. It's not okay. Yeah. It's not okay. To, <laughs> but, but the annotations would be totally different, and I'd yeah. call it something else. And right. Right. Anyway. Um, yeah. The not yeah. Douglas A. Anderson annotated, not quite Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, oh, I, but but anyway, th- that was always the, you know the kind of because you know always my um, you know I never wanted. I never imagined like, you know, my discussion of the Hobbit in the book to be something which you just kind of sit and read on its own. Right. You know, I always wanted, you know, my, my, it's a partner my, with my, the book. Right. My picture is, you know, you have sort of, you know, the Hobbit in one hand and my book in the other hand, and, you know, you read the chapter of the Hobbit, then you read my chapter on that chapter mm-hmm. in my book. And, mm-hmm. um, um, and, you know, so, but, but, but again, ideally what I would have loved, uh, was to, to make some kind of, sort of e-text thing, you know, yeah. that would do this in a yeah. more kind of interactive and engaging yeah, that's way. that's a cool idea, I have to say. I mean, because you've yeah. done such a good job with new media. I mean, you you really mm-hmm. do stretch the boundaries of what a normal author, if I can put that word in air quotes, yeah. would do yeah. with, with the material. Yeah. And 
I, yeah. I have to say, I'm, I can picture it right now. And I mean, what a cool project that would be. It would be really so, cool. So, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I could see maybe something like that, you know, kind of releasing. And I don't know how I would release it and probably in pieces, not yeah. in one big, huge exploring yeah, sure. the war things chunk. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I could see transitioning from the exploring the Lord of the Rings uh, you know, class that I'm doing to, um, to doing some kind of project like that. Yeah. Um, probably in collaboration with, I mean, I, I would need help to do that. So oh, probably, sure. probably in collaboration with yeah. other people, whether they be, you know, students of mine or other listeners or things, right. you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe make it some kind of community project or other, I don't know. Um, but I, 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 at this point in my life, I would see myself kind of doing something more kind of unconventional, yeah. uh, yeah. that way rather than just sort of going back to a publisher and publishing another yeah, book paper, uh, yeah, in the right. same yeah that makes sense uh, at the end of the day you know i find that i like podcasting i mean doing the book was cool you know and i i i'm I, i'm glad i have the book and and that was yeah. neat and and i i loved that and i loved the time you know that was such a fun time in 2012 when the book came out the 75th anniversary of the hobbit and it was mm -hmm. it was uh, it was a really exciting time um but uh but really, I don't like trying to sell things. You know, yeah. I, you know, trying yeah. to sell. I, 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 I'm much happier giving things away than I am trying to sell things. So <laughs> your publisher's um, not going to like that. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, we never did really. How quite many see more free copies do you want? <laughs> <laughs> well, the biggest problem was, you know, I was still doing my Hobbit series, which is, of course, what the book emerged from. Right. So my original mm -hmm. podcast, right. Hobbit series, which was like my very first podcast series ever, and I wasn't finished with it at the time I signed oh, the contract. You know, so the publishers were like, you're not going to finish that, are you? And I'm like, well, I kind of have to. I said I would. And they're like, you're you're not going to give away the content of your book, are you? And I'm like, not hold it. <laughs> you know, so anyway, it, was, it was hard. Try well, not yeah. to. Just don't exactly. listen to it, okay? <laughs> right. right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, so well, no, it's 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 tricky. But uh, so yeah. yeah, so so we'll see what what may okay. come of that. But it would certainly be fun. Well, to, that's exciting to, to know there's a future of it, a uh, future to it. Yeah, that's yeah for sure. definitely. Yeah. Well, now that we've broached the topic of exploring J.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, we finally get to the core of the questions we wanted to ask you, which is about the book. Um, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, th this episode is going to air on September 21st, the 80th anniversary of the release of The Hobbit. Um, yes. And we are thrilled to have this kind of be our, our, our marking our transition because when, when this mm -hmm. comes out, we will have finished the Silmarillion. We'll have spent a couple episodes talking about the films and then we'll have this. And then three days later, our first episode, an introduction to The Hobbit will come out and then we'll dive into the book itself. Um, awesome. So we're really excited to see what our listeners think of with that. We're, we're hoping to bring in uh, on board a, a whole bunch of new listeners who maybe thought the Silmarillion was something they needed to read later mm -hmm. on. Um, yeah. Right. So now that we're going to talk about The Hobbit, we want to talk about your book, Exploring The Hobbit. Um, yeah. You, our first question, you described The Hobbit as being developed in three stages. You got the solo stage before The Lord of the Rings was even conceived, the, the revision yeah. stage when it was in development but not yet out, and then this assimilation stage when he'd started to do the corrections because he'd had to revise things and, and you know, yes. the, the larger legendarium had been kind of put together. You know, you yes. focus in the book on those first two because you want us to read The Hobbit on its own ground and, and not by reference to the to that larger legendarium. Now, I suspect a lot of readers, especially those of us who've read his other works, especially those of us who've read them multiple and multiple times, have yes. a hard time with that. We tend to focus on it as just a small part of the larger whole. What What is yes. it that, that we lose sight of or maybe what traps should we watch out for when we when we do that instead of reading it on its own ground? 
well, it's really challenging. It's 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 a because on the one hand, you know, it's hard trying to draw too hard a line. I mean, there's only yeah. so many times you can say, "Stop thinking about the Lord of the Rings. Don't yeah. connect it with the later story." Because <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. I mean, you know, he did through the Lord of the Rings such a brilliant job of bringing all that stuff together. You know, yeah, it right. certainly has, in retrospect, become one unified story. Yeah. So. Um, there is, uh, you know, a point past which continuing to try to push the, you know, try to ignore that fact, you know, is get, get, gets a little bit, feels a little bit silly and artificial. But at the same time, um, I think that there are a lot of things that you either lose or even more difficultly you add when you're thinking about them yeah. in conjunction. So, yeah, I mean, like the biggest example, add, yeah. obviously, is the ring, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, if from the moment he puts his hand on it in The Hobbit, you're thinking about this entirely through a Lord of the Rings lens, yeah. you know, um, that's okay. It, again, it works. Tolkien made that work. It works on purpose. Yeah. You know, you can do that, and that's totally legitimate. But if you do that, you're not going to be getting what The Hobbit is about like you're yeah. going to be losing this the hobbit story because mm -hmm. it's not about the ring the ring is not the pro the ring is the central figure of the lord of the rings it is not the central figure of the hobbit and if you mm -hmm. kind of make it the central figure of the hobbit and um you know that looms really large in your own imagination as you're reading the book you're reading a different story. Now, it's a good story. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. still a good story. It's a legitimate story. It's still a story that Tolkien wrote in a sense, like that he yeah. wrote backwards onto mm -hmm. The Hobbit. Right. Yep. But it isn't the same story. And the story that he originally wrote in The Hobbit is a really cool story. Yes. So, yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's a lot of people miss that or lose that story mm -hmm. by not. Um, by only thinking about it through the Lord of the Rings lens. Um, yeah. But, yeah. you know, once yeah. you start to make that separation, once you begin to sort of see, okay, what things do I take for granted given the Lord of the, you know, if I accept the Lord of the Rings and everything that happens in it as a given, you know, of course it starts with the ring, but it's beyond that. What, what about Gandalf, right? There's no evidence that Gandalf is anything but a dude, right? He's a dude who knows <laughs> right. magic. Yeah, right. Um, he's one of a bunch of dudes. And there's apparently a whole bunch of white wizards that had a council. You yeah. know, that's where he went when he left the dwarves and, and, and Bilbo behind. And it's, you know, being a wizard seems to be a profession. I mean, you know, when Bjorn says to Gandalf, well, it's some good being a wizard then, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like... <sighs> like it's something you could just... Somebody could aspire to being right, a wizard. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Bjorn saying, you know, oh, you killed some goblins with a flash of lightning. Well, it's some good being a wizard mm -hmm. then is kind of like, you know, uh, somebody's mother-in-law saying like, well, it's some use marrying a plumber then when the, you know, <laughs> when, when the pipes break, it's useful right. to have you around. Like that, that's kind of the tone. Yeah, that Bjorn you're right. It is. Yeah, right. Using, you know? right. And, and that um, does change dramatically if you're viewing it through it, the Lord of the Rings. Does. Right. It yeah. does. Yeah. So, you know, when you're thinking about Gandalf as, you know, as, you know, being one of the Maiar and, and his yeah. role as the Starry and, right. and, you know, Gandalf the white when he returns and what that means and his, his purpose and all it's, I mean, again, you can read all that stuff back into the hobbit and of course tolkien did that and he did mm -hmm. that of course most aggressively in the appendix a material and the road yep, to yeah. error stuff yeah, uh, yeah that you can read more you know in, uh, in unfinished tales mm -hmm. 
But in the original Hobbit, that's not who Gandalf is. Yeah. And that's not what the story is about. Uh, so again, to get that story, um, you're getting a different story, but it's a really fun story and it's a really neat yeah, story. Um, yeah. And what's more, to me, the most fun of all is to 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 see both stories and to begin to see sort of the meta story of how that story comes to uh, comes to comes to be, you know, comes to develop mm -hmm. in Tolkien's mind. How it became. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the work that Tolkien does in retrospect yeah. to I've never seen anybody who could make so such a comparatively small number of changes in a text and transform it so completely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, my favorite example of this, the example I use uh, a lot of the time is so you, in chapter five, in the riddles in the dark chapter, um, Bilbo has just won the riddle game, mm -hmm. right? You know, he Gollum couldn't answer the, you know, what have I got in my pocket question? And Gollum has just retreated to his island because he has to get some things first, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, Bilbo is, um, uh, relieved that Gollum is gone because he was uncomfortable being around Gollum. And <laughs> he thinks that it, right. it, you know, so it, it, he thinks that Gollum is, that Gollum is just making excuses, right? Like what could he possibly have on his Island that he could need? So, so, you know, the narrator tells us that Bilbo is thinking, you know, he, he, he thinks he's seen the last of that creature that he's going to, you know, he's going to, going to, going to, you know, right. think so on his promise. About, and, yeah. yeah. He's just going to vanish and, and he's kind of relieved. Um, and then the narrator says, you know, but, but he was, he couldn't be more wrong that he's yeah. not going to see Gollum again. Mm -hmm. Um, like, so that passage is almost word for word, the same as in the first edition, mm -hmm. but in the first edition, it means something completely opposite to what it means, mm -hmm. what those same words and same sentences mean in the, in the later published edition that we all know now. Um, originally, of course, Gollum, or he couldn't have been more wrong because Gollum always intended to return and would never, ever, ever cheat at the riddle game. Right. It is because Go right. Gollum is such an honest and good character at heart that Bilbo is very wrong to think that he would never come back. And of course, in the published in the third edition Hobbit, he is very wrong to think that Gollum would never come back because Gollum fully intends to come back and murder and him. Kill him. Exactly. So, right. the, 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 you know, there's this one sentence that, I, that I'm pretty sure I quote in the book, which again, it's, it's word for word the same in both editions, mm -hmm. but Tolkien by Radical just tweaking difference. the context right. a tiny little bit, he, he, he absolutely reverses yeah. the meaning yeah. and the impact. Yeah, it's not even a subtle change. It's a full right. 180. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he does going that. To the, to the heart of the character of Gollum yeah. himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, but when you do a side-by-side -side comparison of the first edition, chapter five, and the, the third edition, chapter five, there is such a small percentage of text that's changed. It's yeah. almost identical, except for there's like a couple paragraphs that he adds in. Um, and then you see this is true in so many different places. The work that Tolkien does to synthesize The Hobbit with The Lord of the Rings is so fascinating. The way that he accomplishes this um, while doing very, very little in the yeah. way of actual change mm -hmm. um, to the text itself. Um, and this, you know, the story of, of, you know, Bilbo writing down the you oh, know yeah. <laughs> the, the the false version of the story and right the, yeah. the meta yeah. of the story itself oh, yeah, right. the, yeah. the meta, meta stuff with this is so brilliant and oh, adds is. this 
and it's an unbelievable level to the whole story. And, and that, so, so you come to, the point, the moral of the story is this is why it's really rewarding to look at the original <laughs> mm-hmm. and then look at the change. And because then you can begin to see and appreciate the depth of the whole thing. Um, whereas if if you come at the whole thing from the beginning purely and uh, uh, and only through the lens of the Lord of the Rings, you know, you missed all this yeah, awesome stuff. That yeah, happened. for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's really neat. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, well, while we're on the topic of um, the way he brought these disparate stories together, um, I, I hope Alan will forgive me skipping ahead a little bit uh, sure. because I want to talk a little bit about the elves. Yes. Um, I, I think uh, some, even some of the biggest fans of Tolkien's work are kind of thrown off by the depiction of uh, particularly the Rivendell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, despite those elves. I mock them. All I know. You, I, I know. know you do. I, I don't anymore, do. though. Thanks to Professor Olson's enlightenment. No, I have got. I have <laughs> got true. great ammunition for that argument. Thanks to Professor Olson's. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I think uh, truly. I, I think Corey, you've given the best defense of the playful elves I've ever seen. Yeah, um, absolutely. That they are. I think your 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 quote is that they are connected with the world in a, a deeper and stranger sense, and so they they take pleasure in all of its ways and varieties. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. they're weird. They're supposed to be weird. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, but. It's one of the things that Tolkien does so well. And I've talked about this. um, uh, I talk about this quite a bit when we get like the other project that I'm doing now, the Silmarillion film project, um, where we're talking our way. We're talking our way through a a totally theoretical uh, uh, serial adaptation, serial film adaptation uh, of the Silmarillion. And one of the things that Tolkien captures, which so many fantasy authors just skip entirely mm-hmm. is considering what immortality would actually mean yes. like how it would change yes. you you would yeah. not look at the world the same way no. and right. it's it's not just about like i'm really old and have lived a really long time um I, it is i experience the world in a totally different way yeah. and that's going to seem really alien to you mm-hmm. um as a mortal, you know, when you, when you encounter us, the stuff that I do and the stuff that I care about and, and, and the, the reactions that I have to things are not going to make sense because you fundamentally just don't get what it's like to be immortal. To have seen what I've seen. Yeah. yeah. To have seen what I've seen and to have the outlook that I have Mm -hmm. and the prospects that I have, you know, it's just, and, and the relationship that elves have with the world. Yeah. And again, it's not just about a long, it's not about longevity. Um, you know, it's about their relate. They are tied their to nature. Arda, yeah, sharing the life of Arda. Yeah, that humans are not. You know, the the whole business about you know humans, you know humans are the uh, are the you know the, the, they're they're the outsiders, right? They're because the their home is not here. Yeah, the guests, yeah, the, yeah. exactly. Um, that's the again, more than longevity. That's yeah. the difference, right? Mm-hmm. Elves' home is the world. Humans are the visitors in the mm-hmm. world, um, and the, the the profundity of that difference in there. So, yeah, the 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 lali elves are. I mean, they're an early way of Tolkien describing that. You know, he's he's you know he he accomplishes that in more subtle ways, in different ways. You know, when he gets right. to Lothlorien, for instance, you know, right. Galadriel's perspective is is mm-hmm. done differently. But it's not even like he abandons it. Oh, no. I mean, one of the th- one of the things that you know, studying the Tralalalali elves more when I was writing the book, um, one of the things that it really changed was 
after having really, you know, studied that really carefully and thought really carefully about their song and 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 even more the songs that they sing when Bilbo comes back to yes. Rivendell, those are yes. freaking hilarious. Yes. When you get to, the, yeah. you know, their, their lullaby songs and stuff in, in, in <laughs> yeah. chapter nineteen, it's awesome. That's great. But anyway. Um, then you get to the Lord of the Rings. And when you, you know, having, when you really pay attention to and don't just kind of uncomfortably skim over the Rivendell elves, which so many people do. Um, when you get having to encountered the, to them the, in The Hobbit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But when you get to chapter three of the Fellowship of the Ring and you meet Gildor yes. and his company in the Shire, they are exactly the same elves. They interact with them exactly like the Tralalalali elves. They, yeah. they, they, they show exactly those same. Now, they talk, they have it. The difference is Frodo sits down and has a long, serious conversation with Gildor, which, mm-hmm. you know, we don't see for, uh, Bilbo having in The Hobbit. Right, you know, right, the right. Elves there. It, it does happen, but it doesn't happen on camera, right? You know, we, we don't yeah. actually get to hear it. Um, so, of course, you know, they, they have a more serious conversation. And yet throughout, we can see the attitude being the same, the delight, the quick to laughter, the yeah. the, mm-hmm. the the teasing and making fun of them. Um right. You know, I, I just think of the 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 similarity in tone, you know, between, um, you know, uh, but but you don't know where we are going, and hobbits are so dull, you know, right, which Gilder yeah. says, that, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Versus like, don't dip your beard in the in the foam, father, <laughs> right? It's long enough without wetting yeah. it, right? You know, that's it's that they, they, they're. These are the same elves. The I mean, same I'm, elves. I'm, yeah. I'm 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 convinced that Gildor and Glorian is is totally present singing. Uh, tra la 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 I don't know what the full roll call would have been, but Gildor and Glorian is one of them. I'm He's definitely in there. Yeah. Yeah. That is funny. That's great. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to pick up where Sean, I'm like, okay, Sean, uh, you're skipped those. So I need to skip that one. <laughs> um, Corey, uh, the next question is kind of a well, it's a long question, so I'll just get into it. You do a really wonderful job of illustrating how some of the common themes that we see throughout the Legendarium come up in The Hobbit, but in ways that are more palatable for children, which simultaneously has the effect of making them a little easier to understand for newcomers. Um, right, right. A couple of examples that came to my mind, uh, the role of luck, how it's really divine yes. providence. Uh, I think your words were that it doesn't diminish his accomplishments or reduce the need for his courage and resourcefulness. That really, really rang with me because we did a, a whole bunch of stuff on fate and free will and, and Boethius yeah. on, on Turin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we probably yes. did a 40-minute digression on Boethius in this episode. <laughs> awesome. We did, yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, and and then, followed it up with an essay. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a, <laughs> I wrote a, a Prancing Pony pondering on that. Um, dragon sickness, uh, how it's more than just this, yes. you know, simple, yeah. like, I just want to hoard things. It became kind of a list of all the things that we see, what Sean and I playfully refer to as Morgoth's greatest hits, uh, self-absorption, right. arrogance, division yes. and mistrust. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back then to the question of reading The Hobbit on its own ground, does the road go both ways? Can we use The Hobbit to understand the larger legendarium better than, than we would without it? Or is it really better to treat each of those works separately, kind of on their own ground, as you say? Well, I mean, certainly The Hobbit, if you're – it wouldn't be fair to say that Tolkien wrote The Hobbit like in order to convey these concepts in a simpler way. Like it's not like that was his plan or something. Okay. No. But at the same time, he's the same guy, right? Yeah, and he, right. he yeah, loves the same, the same stories and is interested in the same things. Right. Yeah, so, sure, yeah. Um, so – in that way, certainly, it's definitely applicable. 
Um, I mean, it's it's pretty clear to me that when he sat down to write The Hobbit, um, and this is kind of contrary to some of the ways that he talks about it in his letters and stuff. Um, I think that some of the things that he says about this later, it's not that he's not telling the truth about it, but I think that he's kind of recasting it in some ways. Yeah. Well, um, that, that, but anyway, the letters, that happens with the letters. One of the things John Garth yeah. was quick to point out was that we have to really remember who he's writing to in those letters. Oh, yes. Because yeah, he's kind, very – kind of performance. He shifts – yeah, he shifts yeah. what he's saying from letter to letter depending on his audience. Yeah. So you're right. You Absolutely. have to kind of take what he says later almost with a grain of salt. But anyway, I didn't mean right. to interrupt, exactly. but I just remembered that. No, no, no. That's me. exactly right. No, that's 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 very true. That's uh, uh, Verlin Flieger was the person who really drilled that principle into me. Like, you know, whenever you're talking about his letters, always – Take note first. Who is it yeah. addressed to? Who's he talking <laughs> you know, to? Because Absolutely. It's, that, that's really important to remember. Yes. Um, but um, but anyway, I, I'm pretty convinced that when he was writing The Hobbit, there was really a firewall down between The Hobbit story that he was writing and the legendarium that he had been doing. Yeah. Um, you know, Not total firewall in the sense of like he's not going to make – I mean obviously there are connections, right? Obviously right. he is – the word that I use is recycling, right? He's recycling a lot of the ideas that he had, you know, and the things that he loves. Because sure. remember, by this point, um, you know, we talk about The Hobbit as being an early thing. Of course, for, on his publication history, it's an early thing. But not let's not forget. Not in terms of legendarium, yeah. Not, well, <laughs> right, not in, right. just not, not in terms of his life. No. I mean, you know, I mean, the, you know. Yeah, the man is, what, 45 yeah. years old when The Hobbit comes out. Yep. So this is not like, you know, his teenage work or something. Right um, but this by that time, the story it, of Coolerville. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, but by contrast, what it is, is the writing of a 40-year-old guy who believes that his who, – who is now – it's been decades since he's given up on getting that stuff published at all. Yeah. I mean, he's had the Silmarillion stuff rejected several times mm -hmm. by that point mm -hmm. um, and does not think it's ever going to see the light of day. So he has these concepts that he um, – because he had, he had almost he had not quite he'd never abandoned it completely, but he was not he was not working on the Silmarillion with like much intention for publication no. at the time he started writing the Hobbit in 1930. Right. So 19, 29 to 30, he was writing like the Lay of Lathian. You know, he's doing yeah. this like spinoff stuff, right. basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the um, uh, the Lay of Lathian chiefly. But but anyway, you know, so he, clearly he had kind of given up on the idea of publishing the Silmarillion as the Silmarillion at that point. Um, so he recycles stuff. You know, he yeah. takes like, you know, you've got you, you can see it come out, right? You can yeah. see oh, the yeah. Silmarillion. Thranduil and, and the Arkenstone. Yeah. And the elves going uh, to fairy and Elrond yeah. and all this stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, so he's got he's got the stuff that he's working with, but it's not the same world. Like it's not it's not even the same stories. Even no. the things that are the same are not the same. Like the Arkenstone is it's like on the one hand, it's totally a Silmarillion. Right. Like, I mean, it looks like a Silmaril. It's named the same thing as a Silmaril. I mean, yep. like the we went into that. That's didn't what we? the Silmarils the are English called. Word, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So is it a Silmaril? Totally. But is it a Silmaril within the Middle Earth world? No, it's not. Right. It can't possibly right. be. No. I mean, I oh, man, like over the course of my podcasting career, I've heard so many people try to <laughs> oh, like, be so like couldn't it be we, the Silmaril of Mythros, which like yeah, worked its right. way underground yeah. and yeah. came out somehow <laughs> in the I'm like, no, it's we, not. We had a bit of that. Be, yeah, we, we've we've had a bit of that. Definitely. We, yeah. we, we love the conspiracy theorists. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but anyway, OK, so yeah, so it's that. So so. 
again, this is all again back to. I'm not actually totally digressing from your question. <clears throat> That's so, okay. We digress as our trademark. We do it all so time. it's you for know. this reason. For this reason, to sort of say, all right, the Hobbit. You know, read the Hobbit as a commentary on the Silmarillion. Say, is kind of dangerous for that reason, right? Because yeah, it's it's yeah. not. You know, he was doing. He was self consciously doing a different thing. But again, is it relevant? Yeah. Yeah, it contains Can, elements. What that you are... learn in right. What you learn from studying the Hobbit is is really applicable and really illuminating. When then yeah. you go back, and as you say, the fate and free will stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Tolkien, for my money, I don't know anybody who has embodied the sort of Boethian marriage of of fate and free will. Um, you know, Boethius in the Consolation of Philosophy, as you know, as you guys have talked about, um, you know, has the best explanation that I know of of how free will and you know and predestination, co- you know, coexist at yeah. the same time, right. and how although they seem like a contradiction to us, are not in fact a, in contradiction at all. I don't know anyone who has embodied that concept better in fiction than Tolkien has. Yeah, me um, either. Because yeah. you see it again and again. I mean, are things doomed? Are things faded? Absolutely. Talks about it all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Do people's choices matter? Can people do? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. They matter. Um, and you know, it's it's it, it things. It, the 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 destiny of things really does rest on the choices that they make. Um, and so, in some ways, you could say the Hobbit is, is, is the perfect sort of primer for that concept. Mm, Cause you can yeah. see it most clearly, you know, it's, it's, it is simplest. He talks about it most overtly. Um, yeah. he's much more insistent just about repeating, like the number of times he uses the word luck. Right. Yes. Hobbit, you know, yes, he does. He doesn't do that kind of thing in the Lord of the Rings. He's more careful to, um, yeah. right. uh, you know, not just to keep, you know, he might use the phrase chance, of, the, the term chance a little right, word, but, but, but even then, then he says, if chance it be, you know, and right. things if, like that. If chance it be, right? And even that only comes, I mean, even that phrase or phrases like it only yeah. comes up like three or four times exactly. in the right. whole things. Whereas, I mean, think about the number of times oh, Bilbo's luck, luck is, is right yeah. all the time. It's one of those yeah. things. So it, it, yeah. it is another thing that is that, that does make The Hobbit kind of easier yeah. as sort of a, a more of a, a kind sort of, of an introduction to the concept. In fact, yeah. I think it's it's probably Tolkien's writings that we we can thank for why burglars in D&D always have like luck plus two or whatever. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, that's true. burglars it's are lucky because point. of Bilbo yeah, Baggins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, Bilbo's are lucky because of our, yeah, 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 burglars are and right. hobbits are both of them. Yes, they right. both have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, in, in fact, that was that was actually a conversation that I just had with my nine year old, with whom we're, we're reading the Hobbit together for the yeah, first time. Nice. I'm so oh, excited! That's so awesome. Um, that's always been a really awkward thing for me with my because I, I have two boys and yeah. they know that I am the Tolkien professor. Like you know, so from their <laughs> earliest years, like the you know. J.R.R. No Tolkien and the works yeah. of J.R.R. Tolkien are like, you know, it's like yeah. the family business, you know? Right. Um, so it has a really weird kind of place in our home and in our family yeah. life. Like, it's my thing. Like, that is daddy's thing. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. And so I've never wanted to sort of push – because the last thing I want is for to have my sons reading The Lord of the Rings as if, you know, they're like – working after school in the family store, you yeah. know, like, right. And yeah. they're going to be quizzed on it over dinner. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, so, so to have them grow up being like, yeah, I had to read Tolkien as a kid. Cause it's like, <laughs> well, my dad, that's what my dad did. <laughs> you know, of course, like I really want them to grow up loving Tolkien, but exactly. I was trying to yeah. be really careful to like, let them find it on their own and not sure. push them into it. Oh, so yeah. my nine year old, just like a month ago, 
said, like, you know, could we read The Hobbit together? And I'm like, yes, well, we can. Uh, yeah. you know? <laughs> so so we're reading awesome. it together. We're in chapter nine now, and it's and it's oh, and it, it's been great. But you know, I, we, my, both of my sons and I uh, were playing D and D together before we were reading The Hobbit together with mm-hmm. with uh, with Mina. So he was. Um, and he played a halfling character. My my youngest son Matthias was playing a halfling monk. Okay. And wow. Okay. <laughs> when we when we when, There's a mix. when we were yeah yeah well at, it was uh, it was I was actually one of those really funny personality profile things. Like my older son made a character uh, who is like my older son is like bookish and kind of physically awkward and everything. And he made this like barbarian, uh, bounty hunter. <laughs> and my younger son, Live vicariously. Like, exactly. Whereas my younger son, who is like small, wiry and a black belt in karate, oh, man. uh, made also, like a, a hobbit martial artist. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's awesome. That's great. So, uh, it was like, okay, I can see where we're going. Okay. Now I have characters. to insert a new question. What, what did you yeah. roll? Oh, uh, well, I was DMing, but I oh, so okay. I rolled a cleric because they needed a hewer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they definitely do. So, yeah. So, you know, yeah, the paternal support role. That's that's yeah. what. There you go. Uh, um, Daddy's there to to help out. That is exactly. phenomenal. Yeah. Exactly. That to patch is you phenomenal. up. Phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. But, um, fantastic. What a great little. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> yeah, so, 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 but, but seriously, we were reading the Hobbit. That was the reaction that, yeah. that Matthias had. He, um, we, we got to the references to, to Bilbo's luck and he's like, uh, because he was very fond of the, uh, the fifth edition D and D rule, um, where the Hobbits have the lucky characteristic where if you roll a one on your D 20 roll, you can re-roll it, right. uh, once. Uh, you know, if you're a hobbit, he's like, is that where half, is, is that why, you know, like my, my monk had halfling luck? And I'm like, yep, that's, that's exactly, exactly why. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. <laughs> I think that may just be the highlight of this episode. I, I, think I don't so. know. Yeah. But yeah, so, so it's, so yeah, so, so luck backtracking yeah. luck. Yes. So in the Hobbit, if you read the Hobbit carefully, you know, you're going to notice, right? Like luck, mm-hmm. luck, 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 luck. Mm-hmm. It keeps coming up and you keep hearing about it. Um, and that's what I love about the Hobbit. I love how, yeah. um, he, you know, it, 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 it's not monotonous and it's not, it's, you know, you don't feel like you're being beaten over the head with something um, because he doesn't go out of his way to explain it. You know, he doesn't, you know, right. the narrative doesn't sit you down and load you down with exposition about the significance of Bilbo's luck or anything. No. It just comes to your attention, you know? So you notice the thing about luck, you notice the thing about his tooks and his bag inside and how he's always longing for his hole and yet you know his relation his sort of complicated relationship with his adventure you know you 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 notice the um you know reference to him not being so prosy uh as you know as he thinks in chapter one and then you know his you know, uh, telling riddles to Gollum and then his making up songs as he's taunting the spiders and then his poem that he, uh, that he utters as he's returning to the hill and Gandalf turning and saying what you've been noticing all along, you know, you are not the hobbit that you were, yeah. you know, when we get to the end. So there took side coming out. I think you pointed out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so neat. So, you know, The Hobbit does a lot of that kind of signposting mm-hmm. in a sense, which Tolkien That's doesn't really do as much in The Lord of the Rings. No, you know? you're right. Um, and uh, that makes even sense. Though Younger readers. Yeah. 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 yeah that signposting. Good way of putting it. Yeah. 
I think since you mentioned the the riddles in the dark scene, if uh, if you'll indulge me one more question, um, sure. I know. Yeah, I know he's got one more. We're running kind of long here. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. But uh, one of the one of the things uh, I loved about your breakdown of the riddles in the dark scene was uh, the way the riddles that each each of them, Bilbo and Gollum, tell show how much you know how much it shows about their nature. Um, yeah. And I won't go into detail because I want our listeners yeah. to read your yeah, book they, and they have their that. mind blown the way I did because it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I just I loved your your if I can quote one sentence, I love that you said Bilbo's world is a world of eggs and bacon and deep sighs of contentment. Gollum's is a world of gnawing desire and perpetual loathing. Yeah. Um, I, I just I love that, you know, one of the things that we see often in Tolkien's work is how language and poetry are such markers of culture. And um, and I just. I don't know. I'm not even sure I really have a question around that. I just that was such a, a great insight for me. And uh, I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about it a little bit. Oh, you, yeah. No, it's it, absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, like all of these things, um, <laughs> my, my reaction is always the same. If if somebody says like, you know, oh, I, I you know, I really liked your insight about this. Um, I always feel this. I'm always like, yeah, isn't that cool? Like, I, I'm still really excited <laughs> from like when I first noticed that, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I remember that was simply. um <sighs> I noticed that when I was writing my podcast episode on the Riddles in the Dark chapter, and there, again, all I was doing was sitting down with The Hobbit, right, and just kind of going through The Hobbit, and it was just kind of, it's essentially sort of going on faith. Like, I know there's a lot there and a lot that mm -hmm. I have never noticed before. Mm -hmm. um, so when I first sat down with the Riddles, I didn't have a theory, you know, that I was going. I was just like, okay, let's see what happens if you really stop and like pay attention to the, you know, the, the poetry and the imagery and, and like what these things are really conveying. Mm -hmm. And, and so I did, I just, you know, went through riddle by riddle and was looking at each one and, and was just like, wow, holy cow, look what, <laughs> look what you see when you, you know, cause it's not just about like riddles back and forth. Like it's, there's, as soon as you start paying attention, there's such yeah. a clear trend. Yeah. <clears throat> not only in the subject matter, you know, but in the, uh, in the tone, tone I mean, the, yeah. The, the yeah. emptiness of the wind riddle, you know, yes. the, 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 you know, everything, the, the sort of horrible picture of, of the world that you get from that, mm -hmm. uh, the even more, um, you know, the sadder and more, more completely wretched, uh, you know, from the darkness riddle. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. so awful. Gollum's riddles give me chills now after, you know, after reading yeah. your, your breakdown and, of it. It's, and, yeah. and it's really, you know, because, and I, I think, you know, it's so easy when you're just reading the when you're just reading it, just to think of it as a riddle, right? You know, the, right. the whole point is like this is a thing just to puzzle out, right? And right. Oh, okay, I, I see what the answer is now, or to sort of appreciate what the answer is. But when you really think, but but yeah, yeah, when I just kind of stop to say, let's look at what they're saying and how they're saying it, and and that you know, it 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 just it it immediately becomes becomes clear, and it's. You know, Tolkien himself, he doesn't talk about this much. He really downplays the riddles. Um, you know, he'll he'll say like, oh, like, you know, yes, the riddles are sort of are sort of traditional. And it's funny, he, he you know, not quite grudgingly, um, sometimes people misunderstood and got the impression that he was just recycling old riddles. Mm -hmm. um, and he does kind of quietly say, like, no, I, I, I did. I did. I did. write, I did make up the poetry. Right. You know, I did. Yeah. I did. Set, so even though some of them are, are traditional ideas or traditional concepts or traditional kinds of riddles, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. like, for instance, the one that always puzzles people the, the, the most are the uh, uh, the 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 leg. The legs. Riddle, That's you know, what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. 
or no legs, yeah, no on, legs one leg. on three legs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's, yeah. that was a thing, you know, like leg riddles like that were a thing, you know, yeah, and, yeah. which is just not a thing okay. that people get anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like that was like a whole subgenre of Anglo-Saxon. Yeah, I don't riddles. see leg okay. riddles wow. like tw- trending on Twitter lately. No, <laughs> yeah, no. No, Hashtag leg not. riddles. Maybe Hashtag four legs got some. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but that's, uh, that's, that's, yep. So by the way, now you have to use hashtag four legs got some. I think we will. I think we should. Yeah, definitely. When yeah, definitely when promoting this episode. Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah, no. So uh, whereas you know, in the Anglo, you know, if uh, if the Anglo Saxons had Twitter, that would have been trending. That was it. That was right. So so he you know he is adapting traditional forms, but um, mm-hmm. but he's but he's making it. But more importantly, not just is he making up new riddles, and some of them are of course entirely quite new. Um, but he writes the verse, you know, yeah. and it's it's not an accident. The, it's it's not it's not only I don't, I don't only mean that it isn't an accident that they're in verse. It's not inevitable that they're they didn't have to be in poetry. No, no of course not. Often you tell riddles like that in prose, um, but you know for it to you know so you know but but he chose not to do that and yeah. uh, and, and yeah so it's just. Another example of what I find all the time. I mean, really, you know, going back to my exploring the the Lord of the Rings class, um, I'm basically operating on the same level of faith in my exploring the Lord of the Rings class. By the time we're now in chapter six, uh, because it's been now fully seven months that we've been studying uh, uh, the book, where now we've gotten as far as chapter six. Um, that and, sounds like about our pace. <laughs> pretty yeah. much, yeah. 40 yeah, episodes and 65 hours on the Silmarillion. Yeah. That's right. That's right. No, that sounds that sounds about good. Uh I mean, you know, you one could argue that you've rushed it a little bit, but I think you're I think you're doing, I don't know. Uh, uh, but the, with exploring the Lord of the Rings now, um I've gotten to the point now where I I, I no longer skip anything. Yeah. Like I'm not even doing a class anymore. I'm doing a commentary paragraph yes. by paragraph my way yeah. through the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And that's how I plan to do it from now on. So I, I don't even yeah. know. It's, it, it might take me 10 years to finish the Lord of the Rings <laughs> at the rate at which I'm doing it. Um, that's awesome. Uh, but, but it's that same kind of thing. I mean, right now, like this past, you know, uh, just a couple of days ago. So, you know, we're, it's July now when we're recording this and I just did, um, you know, a segment in like the middle third of chapter six, the old forest chapter, mm-hmm. uh, starting right after Frodo sings his song, you know, East or West, all woods must fail. Yeah. You know, so right after starting right after that. And it's almost entirely landscape description of like when they get to the bald hill with no trees on it that mm-hmm. they can see out from. Right. And yes. then they go down and they try to find their way up to the north part of the forest and they get rerouted down and they end up down by the, by withy, the withy window. window. That's what we covered in class on Tuesday. So from an, uh, there's almost no dialogue. Wow. Almost nothing happens other yeah. than them walking from wow. the bonfire glade to the hill and then down and ending up at the withy window. And the passages that we were discussing were almost entirely landscaped uh, uh, d- description. But, you know, I go into this class saying, you know, I bet I'm, I'm, I'm going to wager 
that we're going to find some <laughs> awesome stuff <laughs> you know, that by the end of this class, we're going to be like, this is incredible. And it was, it was awesome. Yeah, I mean, the way, so you know, cool. the, the yeah, way that we've great. been seeing like the old forest and what the old forest is and the relationship between the hobbits and the trees and what we've learned about Mary and about Frodo and, and their points of view and, and, uh, and their backgrounds. And, and it's so neat. I mean, and, and, and my goodness, it's going to be so cool, uh, to get yeah. to tree beer, um, oh, you know, yeah. in, in the, 2020, 2021, whenever it is yeah. we get the tree beard. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's about when uh, we'll get to them, actually, now that I think about <laughs> yeah. it. Probably. Yeah. So, anyway, it's, it's, but, but that's what I have found. And for me, this is kind of what defines greatness. You know, like what makes for a great book is when you can do that. You know, yeah, when yeah. I, when yes. I know that, like, no matter how carefully I read, no matter how slowly I go, no matter how many times I read it, uh, I'm going to I'm going to be finding new stuff that I never Something saw new. before. And, yep. you know, it's yeah. going to the text is going to reward the time that I put into it uh, yeah. looking at it. Absolutely. Um, it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen, but with Tolkien, it, it does. pretty much always happens. Yeah, and, and you know, I couldn't cool. agree more. That's one thing, you know, when Sean and I started out, we were so, well, we were new to podcasting. You know, we weren't new to Tolkien and certainly weren't even new to the Silmarillion, but we were new to trying to figure out how to talk our way through a book. And I think, you know, he jokingly said we rushed our way through it. I look back on some of those early episodes and think, yeah, we could have drawn that out. That probably should have been two episodes, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Right. But, you know, exactly. I look back to like our, our trilogy on, on Turin or our, our, our trilogy on Baron and Luthien. Baron or, and Luthien, yeah. The two episodes on Tour. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's so much richness there. Yes. And even then I yeah, felt yeah. like we were still moving a little too quickly. Oh, um, yeah. yeah there's oh, yeah. just a ton of material. Uh, and I can't wait now. You know, I mean, we finished the Silmarillion. We've wrapped that up. And we're in the middle now of, of just doing a couple of kind of bonus episodes on the films just for, for kicks and giggles. But I can't I can't wait to dig into The Hobbit and see what we find there. Yeah. So good stuff. Oh, yeah. It's going to be so fun. I'm going to go ahead and, and ask you one last question. Again, thank you for extending the time for us. I really oh, yeah, appreciate no it. Problem. Thank you so much. No um, you end in the book, you end with, the, well, almost end, with the discussion of you catastrophe, which our, our listeners yes. have heard us talk about over and over again. Um Considering that most of us probably read The Hobbit first, this is really the first time we see it. Uh, and, of course, mm-hmm. it's, it's a hallmark of Tolkien's work that his fans yeah. love and, well, I guess his critics mostly don't. But <laughs> um, similar to the, the, the question earlier, um, the ending isn't overly simplistic and rose-tinted. It, uh, you talk about mm-hmm. victory coming through suffering, which is really yes. the case in Lord of the Rings. I, yes. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. we, like the last one that Sean asked, I'm not sure we have a question here per se. Tolkien's idea of the catastrophe, though, is a topic we started off with in our very first episode when we talked about on fairy stories, and it's something mm-hmm. we come back to a lot. So we'd love to oh, just yeah. get like five minutes of you talking about catastrophe. Absolutely. What catastrophe is, I mean, there is a sense in which, I mean, remember in on fairy stories, he describes it, and, and this is kind of one of the most interesting claims that he makes as far as like when you think about on fairy stories, not mm-hmm. as like the uh, the sort of manifesto of Tolkien's own approach to right. fantasy, but as a work of, you know, analysis and criticism of fairy stories, yeah. you know, that are not written by Tolkien. Yeah. Um, a definition of, of what most, all fairy stories have. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. One of the one of the most fascinating, um, remarkable claims that he makes is that idea that eucatastrophe is, 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 is this essential element yeah. to fairy stories that like all real fairy stories have 
like some glimpse of this yeah. of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a it's a it's it's a remarkable claim. And you know, my my point is not to you know sort of like debate with Tolkien about that or or or, or whatever, but merely the fact that in his mind, like in in his perception. This was the the sort of the be all and end all, you know. Um, yeah. Well, not the be all, but anyway, th- this is like that. That well, that yeah. Without that, this, that it's not that essential it's feature. Not fantasy. Yeah. yeah, it's a requirement. Exactly. Um, and I think you know. And this is where you know I come back to the. I mean, you you just mentioned Tolkien's critics, you know, and the the th- the dumb thing that all superficial critics of Tolkien <laughs> say. Um, Thank you for putting it plainly. And, <laughs> they say lots of dumb things, but the dumbest thing and the most pervasive dumb thing that yeah. uh, that bad critics say is that, you know, Tolkien's world is so simplistic. Like it's all right. completely black and completely white. And uh, and uh, and, you know, all the good people have a happy ending. And, you know, it's like just like not in touch with the real world. Give that um, man a, a copy of Turin. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, right. I mean, seriously. <laughs> it, but I, I mean, there isn't even in the Hobbit. That's an unjustifiable. Yeah, it really is. Oh yeah, Absolutely. even Bayorn. I think some of your you, you mentioned some stuff about Bayorn, but in regards to that, yeah, 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 Bayorn. And like, the, I mean, like, tell that to the people of Lake Town for crying out loud. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Seriously, yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't even have to go as far. I mean, it, even like the very high-profile death of Thorin, and you know, and Fili and Kili. But whatever. Yeah. The point is that um, there is, of course, this one sense in what you know so like so no Tolkien isn't about you know rosy happy endings and everything works out um even the way in which he almost I, I this is not a fair way to say it but he he comes within a hair of poking fun at that mm-hmm. you know with Sam on the yeah. field of Cormallon Right. You know, yeah. is ever yeah. you know, when when Sam says, is everything sad going to come untrue? You know, when <laughs> when for a moment it looks like like we're going to get a happy ending, even when, you know, not just right. that, not just a happy ending, but an everything happy. Yeah. Right, exactly right. right. Even Universally the that happy. That are gonna are gonna reverse yeah. themselves and 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 become and become happy. Uh, and of course, no, that's not. Yeah. You know, it, it might look like that in the moment, but that's not how things are gonna. And I turn love out. Sam's optimism at that moment. But yeah, oh, that's yeah, beside absolutely. the point. <laughs> exactly right. And you know, follow. You know, and the you know, followed up by the moment. You know, he says uh, when you know, and his and his all my wishes come true. You know, um, <laughs> when when the when the minstrel sings the song of yes. Frodo. The, fingers you know in the room um but (laughs) anyway it's so you know so Tolkien you could see him almost like self-consciously flirting with that idea you know of the resolution of stories and happy endings and and of course because because those moments uh, and 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 I have to think that we're supposed to understand that Sam himself is at that time remembering like cognizant of recalling the conversation that he had with Frodo on the stairs of Kirith about stories and Mm -hmm. whether stories have a happy ending or a sad ending and, and that some stories are, are, are a good kind of story to be landed in and others might not be, but they're still a good kind to, 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 to listen to. Um, and you know, as I, I, I think that that's one of the reasons why Sam is bursting into tears at that moment, because Mm -hmm. he's seeing on the one hand, you could say one really simple reading of that moment is um, so it turns out that 
Sam has now found that he was in a happily ever after story after all. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. When at the moment when they were having that conversation on the stairs of Kirith Ungol, he was afraid that it was a sad ending story that he he was in after all. Right, Um, yeah. But of course, that's not it either, I think. And, you know, the reason why he's laughing and crying at the same time, I mean, I think, you know, in that moment, Sam is is understanding it's not, you know, the categories into which he was putting stories, you know, happy ending, yeah. sad ending. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not how stories are. That's not how life is. That's not how yeah. stories are. You know, like right. Sam within the story is recognizing that that's not how story, that stories aren't black and white. Yeah, you know, it's not that, binary. That, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah that, that it's not a binary situation as of course is, is evidenced by the story that he was talking about, that he alludes mm-hmm. to explicitly during that conversation. Of course, the story of Baron and Luthien, yep, right. you know, is the story of Baron and Luthien a happy ending or a sad ending so- story? Discuss, you know, I mean, like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, right. that's exactly the sort of the, the, the situation. So anyway, all of this comes back to you catastrophe because yeah. it may be true that stories, you know, it's not a binary situation, right? It's not about black and white. It's not about happy ending or sad ending, but there is still one sort of core rock bottom truth and that is your catastrophe. Yeah. You know, that is that um, even if it is a story which the people inside it would consider a sad ending story, you mm-hmm. know, um, there still lies the U catastrophe, you know, um, mm-hmm. even in the story of Turin, yeah. um, the 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 I mean, nobody could accuse the story of Turin of being a happy ending story. No, um, right. You know, it's just not. But you think about the fact that the grave of the hapless, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, is when mm-hmm. when Balerion sinks beneath the waves, there are only a few things which are preserved as mm-hmm. like memorials of that whole time. And Turin's grave is yeah, one of those. One things. of them. Yeah. Um, and it's clear Tolkien had that. You can, uh, even, even in the story of Turin um, and the fact of course, in the, to, if you read the history of middle earth stuff, right. um, you know, you look at his early Silmarillion materials, which should give a, small plug for this in the Mythgard Academy series that I've been doing now for the last few years. Plug away. Um, Are you kidding? You can plug yeah. anything you want on this. <laughs> yeah. So the Mythgard Academy is a series of, of sort of open classes I've been doing. Um, and we just kind of sort of read through a book and, and, and discuss our way through books and the books that we do are, are voted on, uh, by, um, by our donors and supporters. And, uh, and we, we generally, because our donors and supporters are who they are, we do Tolkien <laughs> every other book. Um, and they are, the electorate in their wisdom have decided that we should go through and discuss our way through the entire history of middle oh, earth series. Man, that's a daunting um, task. It is. And I've never read the history of middle earth cover to cover. No, like, no, I've read it like reference that. piece. Like, yeah. 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 yeah same you, here. Yeah. You, but so I'm so the are because we're doing this, I've been going through volume by volume, cover to cover for the first oh. time in my life. And it's really <laughs> fascinating oh, to yeah. do. Um, so, uh, if you're, if, if anyone is ever interested in kind of digging into that early stuff, um, the best place to find this stuff, it's in, um, it's in, we have a, a, a separate iTunes podcast feed, uh, mm-hmm. for the Mythgard Academy. So you can search for the Mythgard, Mythgard or the Mythgard Academy. It's on Academy. iTunes U, isn't it? It is on iTunes U as well. Yeah. And also the video recordings are in our YouTube channel, the Signum University YouTube yeah. channel. 
you can find yeah. different playlists for all the uh, all the the stuff that we've done. So we do lots of things in addition to Tolkien. We've done we've done uh, Watership Down and Dracula and Ender's Game and The Princess Bride and Oh wow, Princess uh, Bride. Uh, <laughs> I guess go to that one. and all kinds of different. But it's been it's been great fun. That um, like we fun. did Dune. Oh yeah, we did Dune. That was, oh oh wow. Sean, that's right up your alley. Uh, uh, yes, oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spent we spent a long time on Dune. That was really fun. Anyway, so um, in the early Silmarillion, since yeah. we're getting back to Turin and new catastrophe, um, in the early Silmarillion stuff, he dra- he never ever wrote it. He never wrote the story of like what happens in the end times, right? You know, in mm-hmm. Earth. But eventually, Morgoth is going to come back from outer darkness, and there's going right. to be the last battle. That's where time ends. You know, yeah, like right. so the end the times end of, of Middle Earth. Are the fight you know, in the Dagor Dagoroth, the Battle of Battles, uh, at the end of the at the end of the end, Turin Turambar yes. is going to be the mm-hmm. one who kills Morgoth mm-hmm. with his black sword. So, yep. uh, you know, Turin yep. with his you know with his same sword is going to be the one who 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 gives Morgoth his death blow. Um, and you know that's not in the published Silmarillion because Tolkien kind of dropped that idea and didn't incorporate it into any of the later stuff. So, you know, Christopher left it out. You know, didn't include that in the published Silmarillion because it was only ever sketched and outlined anyway. Right. Um, and we don't. You know, maybe he changed his mind about that. Maybe he wouldn't have written that had he written that stuff out later on in his life. But uh, but but you can see the impulse, right? Yeah. The impulse. Right. The, even the, the tour, tour story has a eucatastrophe. Has a eucatastrophe. Yeah. Uh, it just even is, that, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years from now. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. He, you know, Neonor and and Turin both have a happy ending. You know, they go through this purification, and they are, they are their experience has made them into something extraordinary, which not only makes their whole experience eucatastrophic, but makes them the instruments of you yes. catastrophe wow. the entire world you know it's this, this yeah. it's 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 a kind of amazing thing um and that's that is the so so if there is a way in which tolkien is you know everything turns out well and everything yeah, like, yes he yeah. does believe that and it mm-hmm. goes back to what we were mentioning about fate and free will right yep. there is Absolutely. a plan and that plan is a good plan at the end of the day um and um you know in the end i possibly my single favorite tolkien quote um comes from leaf by niggle uh oh. in the conversation that niggle and parish have uh right before niggle goes up into the mountains at the end uh when they're sort of regretting the decisions that they made while they were still alive uh and uh and niggle says it could have been different but it couldn't have been better yeah yeah you know so and that's and they're talking about their mistakes you know how they screwed up uh and didn't do things right and again that's that's like for me that's the core of the you catastrophic idea like things could have been different but they yeah. couldn't have been better. At the end of the day, uh, you know, at the end, at the end of all, you know, maybe at the end of all things, certainly at the end of all things, yeah, yeah. We'll be, you know, we will see that everything, even the things that look most horrible, even the story of even the life experience of Turin Turambar, um, again, thinking of another Silmarillion quote, like evil will be good to have been. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Although it remains yeah. evil, as Mandos insists, <laughs> Mandos is yep. nevertheless yeah. it will still get that in there. I love that he always um, has the, the yeah. kind of the the, the mood <laughs> busting does. quotes, it's, you know, bring you down to earth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, but that goodness. so so to me, you know, that that's that's the sort of the heart of you. It's not yeah. just 
it's easy to focus on catastrophe as like that dramatic turning point, like the right. arrival of the Eagles in The Hobbit or, you know, or to me, the, the single catastrophic moment that gets me absolutely every time. I mean, the one passage in Tolkien I can never read with a dry eye mm. is the arrival of the black ships yes. at the Harland. Yes. Yes. I'm, with you. I'm yes. so with you on that. Oh, you know, yes. When, when, right when Aemir lifts when, up his sword to defy them, and then, I mean, I can, I'm going to start crying. I keep talking yes. about it. I mean, it's, oh, uh, so, I mean, there are those moments of catastrophe, and of course, that's like the high-profile yeah. uh, thing, right? right? But that's not, in a sense, that's not the essence of catastrophe because that doesn't, you know, uh, Aragorn doesn't always show up. The Eagles no. don't always show up. You know, sometimes you get you get the battle of unnumbered tears, you know, and everybody dies and gets hauled off into captivity and everything's horrible or looks horrible from, you know, from that vantage for a time. Yeah. Yeah. But in the end, you know, in the end, the story that is being written, you know, the music that is unfolding, um, you know, no one can change the music in Iluvatar's despite. And, you know, the story that he's telling is still a good, is, is still a good story, uh, that has a good ending as, you know, Bilbo says, story should have good endings, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, story of the world has a good ending. Um, and that's what, and, and sometimes we get a glimpse or a foretaste of that. And that's what you catastrophe. That is awesome! Wow, that's Corey, a, thank you. Awesome. What a what an yes. what a response that was, <laughs> folks. Fantastic. That wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. Corey, Sean, and I really want to just express our thanks again for well, for not only yeah. joining us today, for joining us for longer than than for you'd so expected, yeah. and for digressing <laughs> with us and enduring oh. our digressions. We have, oh boy. Really enjoyed our conversation, and I don't think I'm. I, I think I can safely speak for Sean when I say you have an absolutely have a standing invitation to join us anytime. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you. I hope to take you guys up on that at some point. Yes, definitely. And and maybe uh, we'll see you in Virginia next year. Oh, yes. that would be great. That yeah, if you guys be. could come to Mythmoo, we could yeah, yeah. Do, a, do, a, do a session together. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would be great. Well, and listeners, be sure to join us again in two weeks when we finally dive into the book that started it all, the book that without which none of the three of us would be here talking to you. Okay. Uh, in two weeks, we'll be giving an introduction to The Hobbit. Now, I don't think we have anybody listening who doesn't already own that book, but if for some reason you don't, or if you just want maybe a new cheap copy to read along and take notes in, go to the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, where we have links to The Hobbit, as well as to Corey Olson's book, Exploring J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, and links to other books, audiobooks, music, and some other cool things for your Tolkien shelf. And we'd really appreciate it if you help us out by leaving a review on iTunes. Even if you don't listen to us on iTunes, you can still leave us a review there. It only takes a few moments in an Apple ID. Uh, Some of you have said some wonderful things there, and we really appreciate that. And if you haven't done so already, you may subscribe on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. You can find our RSS feed on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com, or find us on Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and most other podcast directories. And a big thank you to those of you who are connecting with us on social media. You know, Corey talked about that today, talking about the community and just how the Tolkien community is something really special. Well, you know, we set out to start that conversation that everybody could join. That's why we called it The Prancing Pony. And it's why we have the online common room on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast and on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. And a huge thank you to our Patreon supporters. Our Patreon campaign has been underway for a bit now. So check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod and our social media channels for ways that you can join the fellowship of the podcast. 
And social media is a great place to share our podcast as well. So please retweet us, share us, tell your friends, and thank you so much for doing that. Absolutely. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or all your Lotro Gold and crafting materials to the Prancing Pony Podcast at gmail.com. And we'll try to get them into our next episode. Well, folks, two hours plus is still far too short a time to spend amongst such admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends.